0: No. What?
1: Fun is yet. Fast n' please. Columbia Pictures presents Arnold Schwarzenegger. To be or not to be. Last action hero. Not to be. Rated PG-13. Advanced screening Thursday. Starts Friday everywhere.
0: Dream cycle. Yeah. Like, beep, beep. Yeah, we, we, got, we got our. We have the old-fashioned uh, gym teacher. We're doing, we're doing visual jokes yeah. over here, <laughs> and it's an audio medium. We're we're we're, do, we're pantomiming the old gym teacher well, I was, stopwatch.
1: I was doing the Nedry when he touches the.
0: When he turns on the... He, yeah, he's
1: what, like times his watch to the...
0: Synchronizes uh, his watch. Wayne Knight. Yeah. <laughs> and he synch- synchronizes... I'm still thinking of Back to the Future. I'm still thinking we're talking about Back to the Future. I'm still, I'm still going on that. And I'm like... And when, Andre what are you talking oh, about? Doc yeah, Brown? I was like, when Doc Brown has the two... <laughs> and he looks together. And they're, they're, look, Einstein. They're the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, synchronizes yeah. the stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, and I just hit the microphone. Oh, wow. Whew a little we little a little crazy and wild we we broke out the nerf guns uh, oh, yeah. tonight and we were uh and then you know we we got a little hyper on the mega joke colder instead of sitting down and just watching the movie like we usually do we had a nerf gun fight <laughs>
1: set up the forts yeah
0: and my parents with, have like a...
1: <laughs> with uh, cushions.
0: Yeah. And Blake had the couch. I had the Barker Lounge. And my parents have a finished side of the basement, an unfinished side by the tool shed and where the like w- hot water and radiator are. So we were running around with the doors open there shooting stuff. The cat was like, what's going on?
1: And uh, I might imagine I told this
0: story on another episode, but I don't know. But there was one day... Welcome to Saturday, I'm your sleepover. I always cut you off and say
1: that. I'm Jay Blake. I'm Dion Baia. <laughs> so I was pretty young. i remember i might have told this story already on a previous episode uh i might not have but i remember one time when i was really young when my brother still lived with us we were living in philadelphia and my mom went out for something you know for the evening and my brother and i were home and we had a spitball fight i do remember this (laughs) my mom had a uh she was like a salesperson, so she had all this, like, stationery from the car rental, whatever, whatever company she was working for at the time. So she had, like, just pads of paper. And my brother was hiding behind the couch. He had the whole couch. And I was hiding behind the box that Castle Gray Skull gave.
0: <laughs> And you, yeah.
1: <laughs> was, this might have been on the uh, Mass Masters
0: of the Universe it may have episode? Because we were bringing up the toys and how big that box was.
1: <laughs> so I'm hiding behind that. He's got the whole couch, and by the time we were done, like the whole front of that box was just covered with spitballs. And then, like when we moved out several years later, we're, my mom was still finding like spitballs behind things. And All the old uh, days. The old days. Good old yeah. days, spitball fights and nerf guns. Yeah. yeah. Not not no
0: more. Now <laughs> it's just work and sleep and work and sleep.
1: But on a lighter note, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Future and Jurassic Park are like a hell of a two pack, a hell of a double feature.
0: I'm sure somewhere <laughs> in the world there is an insane gas station or petrol station two pack when you <laughs> walk in. <laughs> and there's that, you know, there's that rack that turns, it has like the colorized version of Night Living Dead, the public domain. It has yeah, like Carnival yeah. of Souls.
1: Well, I don't know. They're two, they're pretty big movies. They don't usually do them for, you for know. that. But it's a hell of a like a two, <laughs> I don't like, know about like a two for. Yeah. You know, a rental, a, a, a two-night rental. That's definitely, yeah, you're having, like,
0: two people over or something like that. You know, you're having your friends. Like, we're going to have a lot of people. Like, a, if you're having, a, like, a sleepover party. Your parents are like, you can get
1: Back to the Future yeah,
0: you know, What does do they? We don't want anything with breasts. We don't want to offend any parents. You know, so, yeah, these are safe movies.
1: That's about it. That's about all I have to say <laughs> about it. Yeah, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, folks. Yeah, we'll be seeing you soon. I was debating... When we started rolling, to act like I thought we were doing Carnosaur from nineteen ninety three, which is yeah. a classic Roger Corman produced mockbuster.
0: Yeah. Now, does it have anything in relation to the? There is a date. There is a book that predates Jurassic well, the, Park. Well, is that's that? the thing. Carnosaur.
1: Yeah. Everybody thinks that Carnosaur, produced by Roger Corman, is a mockbuster of Jurassic Park. But it's it, not. But in fact, <laughs> it too is based on a book, and the book it's based on predates. Jurassic Park. I'd be pissed if I was that guy. It was written by Harry Adam Knight, which is a pseudonym... (laughs) For Stephen King. (laughs) ...for uh, a writer named John Bronson. Okay. And it was published in 1984, and it stars Diane Ladd, who's Laura Dern's mom.
0: Yes, who that means is, yeah, uh, Bruce Dern's (laughs) fling at the time, or wife, I don't know. And
1: uh, it's directed by a guy named Adam Simon, who also directed Brain Dead, which is a popular... Sleepover cult classic with Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. Yeah, but the uh, Bills, yeah, the so, brother Bills. I mean, undoubtedly, it I, uh, probably got f- green light or rushed because of Jurassic Park. But I feel I heard that Corman had been trying to make it since 1991, so he had actually been trying to make it since before Jurassic Park. And have you seen Carnivore? I feel like I saw it. Back in the 90s But I, I don't really remember So I wonder if it's, is, is it like Is it, it like
0: pumpkin head Kind of level Where it's like you know Or how If it's any good Or are they just stuck Like on a farm <laughs> You know You're like one of those Kind of It's like
1: leprechaun I feel like it's a little bit Bigger in scope Yeah But you know Obviously the effects Aren't as good Although the effects Are decent I mean I think the effects Were done by the guy That did That directed uh, Friday the 13th Five? What's the new beginning? Which one's the new beginning? Five, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that guy who was a special effects guy. Yeah. I feel like he designed the special effects. But
0: uh, much like Winston doing pumpkinhead. Yeah, yeah. So that's something my mom would do. You know, she's she has high hopes. <laughs> you, you, what do you you want to you want to? What movie you wanted? The dinosaur movie. You go to the store. She's looking Jurassic Park's all out, but they have on the same shelf Carnosaur. If you
1: like that, you'll like this. I feel like we had this discussion when we did Willy Wonka, because there's a in in. We did an episode of Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory, back for like Easter one year because I used to or Thanksgiving. Yeah, I used to see that on Easter
0: and Thanksgiving. I feel like it was like a candy. We were doing the
1: candy connection. Yeah, and uh, tenuous. But when they first, when the family buys Charlie. A Wonka bar, yeah, and they're like, bef- you know, before you don't yeah.
0: get it, yeah. yeah,
1: and they're like, come on, open your Wonka bar, but it's not a Wonka bar; it's like some like Wonka moon pie. Oh yeah, he gets it. He
0: knows, like, and I'm fuck. like, oh my, <laughs> it's not even the right candy pie. And I think of you talked about of that. Of course,
1: there's no golden ticket. In here. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's we
0: not. You mean, didn't even get the right one. They spent Uncle or Grandpa Joe's <laughs> oh, tobacco don't eat, money. <laughs> don't get me
1: started on Grandpa Joe. That's a whole other.
0: That's uh, they already did that. Podcast. I think there's a page right. I hate uh Grandpa Joe on Facebook. Book or whatever. Could it be, like, but yeah. I've been
1: for for years, decades.
0: Even. I've been complaining about Grandpa. Yeah, J. how how self centered and. uh
1: But Carnosaur. Yes, that would also good double feature with uh, Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah, it would. I'm sure if you go down the whole Jurassic route. I mean, you could even do like uh Dino De the Jurassic King Kong route. Yeah, <laughs> or the first King Kong back to 33. Because I remember when I was little, like doing. I did like a. Double features of, like, the original King Kong and then the original Mighty Joe Young. Yeah,
1: I know your dad's a big Mighty Joe Young
0: and fan. Loves right? Mighty Joe Young, yeah. And then when that movie, when they redid that in the early odds, maybe, with C- Charlize Theron was and it, Bill Paxton. Maybe. Was it that late? You know, like 2000, 2001, he was like, yes! And they changed it significantly. I mean, I don't think Mighty Joe Young, if I remember correctly, saves, like, an orphanage of people, kids. <laughs> but, uh, Do you remember seeing
1: Jurassic Park for the first time?
0: Well, if we're going to change gears here, yes, I saw it June 10th that night. It came out at midnight. Uh, Ooh, I went Yeah, great. I went with my daddy. My dad took me, my friend Martin, who I talk about a lot on this cast, and he took my other friend Chris. The three of us went, and I remember it like it was yesterday, in the minivan, the the uh, Plymouth Voyager, and my friend Chris had just gotten a girlfriend he was dating at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, Michelle, what the hell is her last name? Oh Jesus! I, I mean, should protect, protect I it. Yeah, I should protect. Yeah, it's been redacted. <laughs> protect uh, the innocent. Because uh, I liked her too, but you know, we're how old are we there? We're like fourteen, maybe 13, 14. So it was like you know, he just got a girl, and it's eighth grade, and we're like, <laughs> and of course, you know, my dad, and I have to be very PC when describing my dad. But my dad, <laughs> my dad immediately went for the jugular with the boys, and he's like, so yeah, you know, blah blah and blah blah, and we were like. <laughs> Dad, and then Chris is like, "Shut up! I'm not yet. I don't know what that means." So we got to the theater. Let me smell your <laughs> fingers. <laughs> That's exactly what I didn't e- want to say. E- easy, Dad, yeah, easy. Daddy, come on. I don't know what the man on the boat is. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, we got there. It was sold out. I think it was an instance where he had to go earlier in the day and purchase the tickets. And we, uh you know, we sat all next to each other. We had a really good seat. And that was the first time I ever experienced surround sound DTS, that opening scene with the raptor cage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember like looking to the left and to the right. Uh, moved. <laughs> the joke with my dad is that, that my dad had both his hands. I sat next to my friend Martin. My friend Chris sat next to my dad. And my dad had both his hands on the, um, the, the armrests. And when something happened either with the Tyrannosaurus or at the beginning with the raptor, Chris went... And grab the armrest and grab my dad's hand, and my dad's like, <laughs> ah! And then my dad screamed, so it was like this huge, you know. For, for years, he used to tease my friend Chris about it, but I remember seeing this and just being blown away with the the special effects and the uh, and particularly the sound. You know, it was really, really ushered in. It was, I guess, people compared the 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 CG technology in this movie to like 1927 when they got sound. Yeah. And it's like I think it was it was almost like you know Terminator 2, and then seeing this, it was like wow, you know, you're yeah, off to yeah. the races, yeah.
1: Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I remember How trying you? to see it opening weekend. Wow. And me and, uh, I think, Joe St. Martin. Oh, yeah, Who got brought yeah. up on the Back to the Future cast he last did. week. Yeah. Broke that p- p- that window. I feel like he and I went to Clifton Country Mall, which is where we hung out in junior high, uh, to see it and it was sold out. And I was trying to... I can't remember the year so but my recollection i could be wrong but my recollection was we went to go see hot Shots, <laughs> hot Shots, hot shots <laughs> hot shots part two. yeah okay. instead well what a, what an era <laughs> and uh and oddly enough pete who was a guy i was friends with at school and who joe was friends with at school separately And I don't know, around this time, we would start going to like middle school dances. Yeah. And we would hang out with Pete. But Pete went with his friend, tried to do the same thing with his friends. And so we ran into him at the movie theater and we ended up sitting with them. And lo and behold, sometime later, maybe the next year or later that year, Pete and his friends, who he came with, were became my best friends, and those are the guys are you, that I made all those movies. Oh with. yeah, okay, because I remember that. But name. that's when I first met like Chuck and Paul, who was Pete, who were Pete's friends. I met them at that. Screening, and I didn't know who the, like I, I didn't know who they were. And you would go
0: on to make all those home movies, like the, the yeah. movie that we've talked about in the cast. <laughs> you, you know, I'm making comedy spoofs. You're doing like dramatics, you know, horror movies. real genre, movie. We did, real genre. Movie.
1: We did. but uh, those did, guys, back, you did the Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, but, but those guys, and that but, was from this viewing. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't become friends with them because of that. Yeah, but like, little did I know at that moment that. History would be changed forever.
0: (laughs) 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 We should do a a sidecast on just movies you went to see, but instead you saw other ones. (laughs) Like I went to see Cyborg. No, I went to see Disorganized Crime. Yeah. And when we got to the theater, my dad and my friend Martin, they they, uh, kind of called an audible and they wanted to see Cyborg. So that's how I saw Cyborg in the theater. And then we went to go see Ninja Turtles, the first one in the theater. And it was sold out, and we instead went to see Opportunity Knocks, the Dana Carver movie, which is the last time I've seen that.
1: But then I feel like shortly after attempting to see it, I saw it with my dad and my brother and my stepmom. And uh, I remember that it got to a point where I had to pee so bad, like I just couldn't make it to the end of the movie. Because you had to make a joke. So we got to the scene... Like, kind of towards the end when, like, John Hammond's eating the ice cream Sad. and Laura Dern comes in. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like, like there's a break in the action. <laughs> so I ran, and little did I know my brother was doing the same thing. He saw I made him. <laughs> I went for the door, and he followed me. And then we came back, and we got back. In the, and then, like, I remember we were leaving, and my dad's like, yeah, that was, you guys picked, like, the perfect moment. That was the only time where, like, people were actually just sitting there <laughs> talking for, for, like, the rest of the movie. That, I.
0: I remember, you know, you, th- that was always the worry is you eat all your popcorn or you, eat your, you finish your soda before the movie starts and then halfway through. And I, I used to hate that. I could never, you know, having to go. Yeah. in case You know, if there's an emergency or something happening. Uh, it's one of the worst because especially if it's a new movie. You know, when the hell are you going to see it again? And you're missing plot or whatever. Or I mean, there's some people who don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll just yeah. get up and go. But you and I were like diehard cinemaphiles. You know, that's like sacrilege. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was a big deal. I want to say, like, it wasn't as big of a deal personally as, like, Batman. Or even Terminator for me, yeah. Like but, or, or Terminator 2. Yeah. But it was probably as big, if not bigger, of a deal, Like like, in the context of, like, cinematic history. Yeah.
0: I mean, as, I guess because with Batman... Specifically And even Terminator 2 You could There was a more of a way To play that For our age group So we can go home And play Batman You can either like yeah, yeah. Him, Put a cape on yourself And you're Batman Or you have toys And same thing We're kind of To, a, to Do Terminator. I have to be a
1: raptor again? Yeah I don't want to <laughs> Yeah exactly I don't want to be the T-Rex Why
0: do I got to be The bronchiosaurus <laughs> eating, eating bush leaves My stomach hurts already From eating the berries But it's So how do you play I mean you could I, You know If it was Ten years younger my friend Martin and I probably would have went outside and played. Figuring you know, it out. yeah, we would have been like
1: imaginary dinosaurs. Yeah,
0: exactly. You're just watching them and then you're running away from them. That kind of thing. Yeah. We're grow up here! They're all over the place. <laughs> no, but like by th- by that age when you're almost om- we were almost heading out of toys. So and I never bought any of the toys. My the kid I brought up last week who I uh, used to babysit for, he had the toys because he was much younger. Yeah. So I was able to like you know inspect him and play with them a little bit, and they you know it was kind of the T Rex and they would have like da- you could take off a punch oh a chip, yeah a punch I remember like been bitten or something. yeah somewhere. and there's an exposed rib cage you know or like the you know the Wrangler was pretty cool the play, they had like a playset you know and, and a lot of little you know they made the Raptors and I think the T Rex did something maybe roared or something, but then the raptors, I think, had like a motion if you squeeze like the, the hips together, it would maybe open its mouth or or the other thing would, you know, it would come up and go, and maybe it'd even shoot oh, yeah, water yeah. or something like that. So it had, I mean, it sold stuff, but it was, I mean, at the time, it was huge, but it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't huge in the way that we're like, I wasn't, I didn't want to go, I, I mean, I went to the museum, but I wasn't suddenly wanting to become like an archaeologist, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. or a paleontologist, you know what I mean?
1: Well, you know. <clears throat> One of the things, and I and I say this every time one of these big effects movies pops up, to me, like the best, one of the best parts of doing this podcast has been that we've been like revisiting kind of the heyday of special. If I think we talked about it with Tell Recall mm. and I know we talked about it with Labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, it's been like amazing to kind of go through in a way like the history of like the peak of movie magic in terms of special effects and this is like the pinnacle of the this is the turning point. It's the changeover, yeah. <laughs> it's the so
0: analog the digital changeover.
1: Uh just it's like everything like we said with the Labyrinth, it's like everything is like full steam ahead. Like everybody like it's just like a well oiled machine of movie magic by throwing everything at the wall, everything sticking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's really kind of an amazing Feet And sh- most shockingly, and I wonder if you feel this way as well, is that the CGI in this movie still holds up better than most of the stuff I feel like I see today.
0: Yeah, I, I would... For the I'm most about, part. Yeah, I'm about 90% there because I hadn't seen it in so long, yeah. maybe. Uh, to so me, the to me it thing looked, that looked a was...
1: little... To me, the worst was like the, bron- the Brachiosaurus in the beginning. Yeah. When he like goes up in his two legs, like that kind of, but for the most part, I was like, st- even in this viewing, I was like, man, this stuff really f- still looks good. I mean, I think
0: it's the combination, you know, of everything, how they use animatronic to even uh, helping the original puppeteers, the slow motion guy or stop motion to then, you know, using that to help animate the computer imagery yeah. that made it so good. And And so for the most part, I think it does hold up I mean, like, this and Terminator 2 were kind of movies that, or even The Abyss, where it's like they, they hold up really well, as opposed to especially movies of this, of this era back then. A lot of the CGI is very dated, and we talk yeah, about that yeah. quite a bit. And then nowadays, since people now use it so much as a crutch nowadays, or it's become standard, because maybe it's cheaper than shooting it live action, some of the stuff, and to me looks good, but it just looks like a video game. So I'm, like, I'm kind yeah. of uninterested. So maybe maybe younger audiences now, they don't care because they grew up with video games. They grew up looking at it that way. Yeah, you know. But for me, uh, you know, I kind of get bored with a lot of like the. That's. I mean, I'm not a huge over the top Marvel guy because all of it is just. Sure. You know, it's just it's just a video game. It's like eye candy, and you you don't know what the hell Transformers. I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> you know, there's just so much stuff. So these movies are like a breath of fresh air. But for me, like Back to the Future last week, I hadn't seen this movie in maybe 20 years. Um. And I haven't seen probably the second one since the movie theater, or maybe the third one since the movie theater. So th- those would be fun to rewatch. But it was, a, it was a surprise because I'd seen this a lot. This was also the first bootleg I got. Chris's dad ended up, I remember going to a flea market in New Haven, this really... Sunday morning, they used to have this huge flea market there, and he bought a videotape. And it was the first like you can buy a bootleg, and it was a bootleg. Some guy with a camcorder in a the theater, and yeah, it was yeah. like like the cliched way it was it was on an angle, <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And then my Chris's dad let me borrow it for a night. He was really nice, and I I copied it. How you know I hooked up my camcorder, whatever. Yeah. So I, that was like my first access to a bootleg was seeing this Jurassic Park but uh it's just amazing you know the staying power it did have and then how much technology it really it really closed the door even if it didn't want to on like you know dick tracy total recall um all those movies batman the 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 practical effect movies yeah because they tried to they were looking to do this practical effects like they had done king kong or you know that movie what is it dinosaur from like 85 that disney movie with the it's really messed up You know that one Where like they, in the, They're in they're, they're explorers In South America and, and they see like the It's like a bronchiosaurus The beginning's mother Gets killed And they take the baby Maybe oh, it's called baby, baby. It's yeah, called a baby, baby. Yeah. Okay And that thing is like Scarring And they have to like You know So that was all animatronic And King Kong Lives Was like 86 And that's For the I most part I remember seeing
1: baby At the movie theater Did you cry I remember that being horrifying I remember what's that William Cat, The guy from Greatest American Hero Yeah And Sean Young maybe Yeah
0: they're, they're, they're the, I don't uh, think I've
1: seen that movie since then. Yeah, and it was—I remember, still in my mind. I remember sitting down and watching that movie at the movie. I remember theater.
0: watching that like on my, my parents' like you know uh, living room cabinet model television. It being like being certain scenes being horrifying, like there's poachers or something, and you know the evil guys. But like in the era of like Godzilla nineteen eighty five yeah. or King Kong Lives, where you have either a guy in a suit or you have it be animatronic, you know, and up to the you know or stop motion. You know, so this was a big leap to be able to, you know, for them to do this.
1: (coughs) Well, yeah, they went to Stan Winston, who, you know, we've talked about on numerous occasions on the show. Um, You know, we grew up, we were part of the film, the video store generation, but we were also grew up in the era of when special effects guys were like the rock stars, of the movie business <laughs> yeah if you
0: were like in the movies and you were like a, for the most part like a boy growing and
1: up you would start you would start seeing like making of documentary on TV guys, and yeah. stuff and so a lot of people from our generation us included kind of we fell in love with the idea of making movies first with the idea of like I want to be a special effects guy. yeah like
0: Rick Baker Tom Savini <laughs> yes yeah. so, Roger Arp Corm- Arptop uh, Dick Smith
1: so, uh, Stan Winston was at the time, probably maybe still, we w- would be like on the Mount Rushmore of practical sure. effects. I mean, he was coming off
0: like Terminator too. I mean, the stuff, yeah, like he did Predator, right? Didn't we talk
1: about him in Predator?
0: Yeah, I mean, he he had a huge, you know, his stuff, his contribution to Aliens and and all that, the Abyss, like all. And he did the uh,
1: the dog kennel scene in, in the, the thing. thing. Yeah. John for Rob Teen, but uh, so they hired him to do like the life-size puppets because he was that was his shtick. Like
0: Winston, I remember growing up was like he would do like ro- robots and aliens and stuff like that. Where like Rick Baker would do like gorillas and aliens. Yeah. you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they find niches? Yeah, gorillas yeah. in the mist, you know, and then or or and was Tarzan, it Tarzan? And uh, American Wolf in London, like you know, it was he so did
1: the King Seventies King Kong too, didn't he?
0: He might have, and then I, I, did he do
1: Monster Squad? Maybe. Who was that? Rick Baker? That might have been Stan Winston.
0: Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, because they, they didn't have the rights to the Universal monsters, so they had to change them slightly.
1: I feel like I um, could be wrong. Yeah. which we should also, which I'll get to a correction and amend an amending thing that I said in the last podcast when yeah. <laughs> we get to it, <laughs> but. Um, so he they had him, and then they hired Phil Tippett, who, uh, for a person like me who was obsessed with Star Wars, yeah, knew because he did like the Rancor uh, stop animation and the Tauntauns, and he was part of Lucas's crew for, a, s- for the Star Wars. He mm-hmm. was a stop stop he was motion... like the stop motion guy of the eighties, yeah.
0: And I was—it's funny because isn't at the time Ray Harryhausen still alive? I, I don't think he was. I don't know if he was doing anything, but yeah, pro-
1: I'm sure. Yeah. I'm
0: surprised he didn't have like you know how. Um, Dick Smith had a school of people, or Roger mm-hmm. Corman had a school of people that I'm, su- I'm surprised that he wasn't connected. I don't know much connected.
1: about Phil Tippett. I mean, maybe he did. Yeah, for some there might be a yeah, connection. He might, have, who, he might have worked under Howard Housen at some point. I don't, I don't know enough about him. And yeah. then, of course, Dennis Murin, who also was a Star Wars guy. Yeah, he was brought on, and, and these
0: yeah. are all celebrities, like you say. Like yeah. know, you know, I can, I, you know, you can picture everybody's face: Dennis <laughs> with the glasses and the gray hair, and it's Winston. They of course, they were
1: all. Like I said, they were they were to us to our to to people like us of our generation they were definitely celebrities. Well, they
0: tried to market it to a certain extent. I mean, you had that show, Movie Magic, on Discovery Channel when we were this age, and then proud of that. Remember, you and I joke with that horror Hollywood movie awards or whatever. Yeah, that the was. horror Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then then they would have Tom Savini, the King of Splatter, on that, and you have, and then all these making ofs you'd catch on HBO or whatever when you'd see how this stuff was made, and sure, you're like, oh, yeah. it's it's. It's not a real monster. It's freaking like, you know, uh, latex and
1: balloons. And Pro- probably on past episodes, most likely our Star Wars episode, I probably brought up the documentaries from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga, yeah. which was like a big huge thing for me. Huge for me. You know? Big deal. And I'm sure I brought up in the past, there was used to be a making of Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, Yeah, that used to play. When I went to my dad's house, it was on like HBO or Cinemax that they probably put in to fill in time between <laughs> movies to make the to make like the timings work out I mean, and I used to watch that all the time and I, that those are like those are the first instances where I was like wow well, I want to make movies like I want to do this I yeah. want to make magic
0: uh, yeah one of my earliest memories which we, I think we talked on the Star Wars cast is like being over my cousin's house and seeing the Star Wars or one of them making of, and you see them, how they're doing, like, lightsaber stuff. So they're out in the guy's backyard by those big, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, doing the sound effect. Yeah. On, like, the big, uh, the huge, huge, huge power towers. And they have, like, the, the wire, yeah, the cables, yeah. and they're hitting the cables, and they're getting that. boom.
1: <laughs> Ben Burr, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, the guy we talked the about sound a lot in so, Raiders, and Raider, yeah, and then we talked about him
0: again. But it's like, words. so it's such a young age you, when you fall in love with the cinema or movies, and then you realize, like, you and I were monster fans, horror movies. It's like, oh, it's fake. This is how you fake it,
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And
0: then with Halloween, you know, you you buy like shit spirit gum or, or you know blood capsules. Yeah, well, that was the you thing. Know? I mean, and,
1: you had like a co- you had like a theater based costume shop near house. I don't know if you had it. Growing up, I remember we went there when we were in film school to get by, like, fake blood or something. Yeah. But for, like, me, it was... uh I had
0: to wait till October to buy that stuff. Yeah. You know, like, you couldn't get... The only reason why I... that th- This place we're talking about is the Costume Bazaar. It was originally in New Haven. I remember going there really young, then they moved to Hamden, the one you'd been to. And the only reason why I knew it intimately were half of it was a costume shop rental slash makeup house for... Uh, plays and stuff in the area but the other half was like a dance they do ballet so oh, if yeah. your child girl was going to go to dance school she'd get her outfit or her slippers there so they split the time that way but because the guy who ran the theater aspect of it or peng pengu who passed away god rest his soul was connected to my drama teacher uh it was his um uh partner my drama teacher julian Schlusberg in high school so i went into theater got into his plays and then knew him, and then I got a, a friendship with. I think you met Or. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was very you know flamboyant, amazing guy. I borrowed his Japanese silk robe for my senior film. Remember that? What's his face yeah, wears? Yeah, You know, like that. But like, yeah, and and then so I had like access to special effects, like really off the p- expensive stuff. But like, I worked at Party City. um uh, in uh, one of my first jobs in high school, and that you know, either that or the other, the other paperama, that you know, that was you'd always have to wait till like, you know, around Halloween time to get like the huge masks. They'd be like a whole Halloween section, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and you'd go and get all this kind of like fangs and stuff like that, or, or uh, you know, or I remember like trying to do that stuff at home, like seeing that movie horror movie show. Sure. And, yeah. You know, they were like, here's how you do a bullet, and get m-
1: your mom's button, and then you get some wax, and I did all that, yeah. and tried to what the What Dan's referring bullet. to is, in the mid-90s, uh, I, I think it was only, early 90s. Early 90s, they only did like two or three of them, two or three years in a row, there would be this thing called the Horror Hall of Fame. And you catch it like on a Saturday or Sunday And afternoon. it was, must have been syndicated, so like whatever market would pick it up and air it at whatever time, and it was like an hour, I don't know how long it was. I actually... You got them, don't you? I think I downloaded them off of YouTube. I think you gave them. And to one me too. of and one of them was taken down. Like you couldn't get. Like it just was like static. Like it was taken down by YouTube. So I f- messaged the guy, Yo brother, and I said, "Hey man, like I would love. Like I loved these when I was little. I would love to see the second one." And he and he sent it to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it would be like awards they'd give out like. George Romero would get an award, and then I think they would give awards to, like, the current – the films that year, and they would cut to, like, Chucky in the audience. Yeah, or Jason would be and dressed they, up. And they would – host. I think they were, like, at least one of the year it was hosted by Robert England, uh, But in between commercial – like, going out of commercial – going to the commercial and then coming back to the show – and of like the, to book in the commercials, they would cut to like the special effects guy that would
0: it's like yeah, they'd do like an, an outro for like a minute or yeah, something yeah,
1: yeah, and he would show you like a quick effect that's what the answer It was like so a Rick be Baker like, or somebody. something gel like take gel plain gelatin and he would like put that on a girl's neck and put like make a big wound and then put like i remember he put uh safety pins through it, and he was like with, it was basically to teach you at home the kid viewer. How to do it? It's a, like, like it's a very much. Special
0: it's very much like Dick Smith put a book out that was very informative for that generation, and it was like how you do stuff at home for the kid. Yeah, and yeah. Dick Smith was one of these people who we did a Dick Smith tribute when he passed away, a sidecast on him, and it was very much, uh, you know, uh, he was a guy that didn't hold the secrets in, and he kind of opened the floodgates for these people. So th- what this was was they were just basically, you know, showing things out. of This is what you can do at home to to to, to step up your, you know, your effects game. You know, and so it fascinated us as a kid. So when you get to to this and seeing, you know, all that the blending of it, and then it, it is a, for us on the journey of this podcast. It is funny because we've done all these um, practical effects movies in the yeah. '80s, you know, or '70s, and now we're hitting the mark where this was the clincher, along with Terminator 2, which we haven't uh, covered yet. That really set the bar. That okay, we're this from now on, the rest of cinema history is going to be heavily, you know. CGI yeah
1: I remember I wonder if what why this one to me still holds up pretty well is like because it was the first one they probably had like more and it was and it was Steven Spielberg so they probably had more money to oh, throw at sure, it oh sure yeah and also it's was like because it was the first one they were like we have to get it I mean right. it still looks great you but, know what I mean but and they're also had the pressure of matching it to winston's live action practical effects, yeah so like they had to make it look passable i mean i think the only the only limitation here
0: is the computers of 1993 you know that's the only you know that it looks like you said at the opening scene you could it slightly off because our eye has been being inundated with it for 25 years my buddy and this is the 25th anniversary kind of right Maybe. You know, because yeah, it's 93 yes. and it came out in June, so theoretically. And we have
1: Jurassic, the next Jurassic World movie coming out around this time. And we're doing it in June, so it's <laughs> kind of,
0: you know, this is kind of hitting, you know, right after, you know, right. I mean, we're doing a
1: little anniversary thing
0: for yeah. us anyway. So I think it's just, you know, with the 25 years of seeing it. I mean, it took three rooms of computers.
1: We were just yeah, talking about it was, that. It's funny because uh, I have a friend named Dave, not Silver Bullet Dave. <laughs> But this other guy Dave, who I think I brought up on our Star Wars Christmas special, but he has a friend who collects things. who's a big like movie geek like us. But he he collects things and um, he owns like he bought at auction or something like one of the PCU, you know, the one of like the processors, seriously, from <laughs> one of the computers <laughs> that like rendered the effects. That's
0: insane. I mean, that's, but that is something like this got made. I mean, it was something like you're in the editing business. That
1: that, like a piece of the computer was auctioned off.
0: Why don't you very (laughs) quickly give a quick tutorial for people, the layman who doesn't realize that in in
1: an editing for any kind of effect that is Sure. I mean, well, what I, I mean, what I, I, I don't know enough about it, but what I will say is to put it in perspective, um, so this is like 1992 making yeah. it comes out in 93 so they're probably still working on the effects in 93. We go to school in 90 we go to film school in 97. We graduate 2001. I start working as a professional editor in 2001. So that's like 8 years Oh, difference from you. Yeah. yeah. So but even you know when we went to school we had to buy we were learning how to use avid which is a computer editing system uh and like our senior year but we had to buy drive space yeah. so we went and we bought these external hard drives for thousands of dollars and there were like eight
0: gigs each drive
1: <laughs> you know and it was yeah. and then you had to buy the the cables The it was you like know. it literally was like fifteen hundred dollars two thousand dollars that our parents
0: are paying for, on top of buying the film for or like those, eight you know. gigs, sixteen gigs tops. Yeah, and that was a lot of memory in 2000, And 1999.
1: You can get like a, a, a thumb like, drive, a like not even a, like a little Sandisk, you know, little card that oh, you can put in like your like MP three. Yeah. That's in your phone, yeah, for your memory. That's like the size of your fingernail. And that's which is like sixty four gigs or like thirty two gigs or something. So these and this was like the size of a toaster. That's an example of the
0: technology shrinking. You know, so that's like
1: the size. That's size wise. That's when we were still working with SCSI, and that's why it was so big. That was like the name, the like the name of the drives were SCSI drives. But so I started working as an editor, and I would have to. You'd work, and then I'd have to do effects. I was working for an educational video company, and they were trying to be hip. So you would do like blue screen or green screen matting effects in avid titles move things around on screen and it would literally like i do all that stuff and then i'd have to render it
0: so you'd, you'd want to have an effect in a, pos- a place yeah and then to put that effect in you what you'd have to do is for the effect to happen you'd have to have the computer which you're saying render it yeah and so the rendering process of it, making the effect you yeah. want so that
1: you can actually look at it
0: yeah like you can you, can you can sit you there are. and
1: build it and i'm not talking about building a Dinosaur, <laughs> you know, I was talking about literally like a just, dissolve or just taking the blue out yeah, and maybe putting like a title that moves on screen or, or background in like a bordered, you know, something, you know, just really rudimentary stuff. And you'd sit there and it would take hours just to render. To yeah. render. The computer would have to like frame by frame. So and to, to imagine what they're doing. And we talked a little bit about this with Last Starfighter, I feel like, because it was like effects back then. Which is even before. Oh, it was al- almost yeah, ten, it was, it, almost ten years before. It would it, take hours for this. Would, you know, it was like a week. <laughs> to render something. So and then so like to even see it you'd have to spend hours, days, maybe like literally a week to have it rendered to see if it, to see if it was okay. Yeah, that's like when you're shooting and then if it was like, "Oh, well there's a glitch there. We have to re- render render
0: it. <laughs> It's like shoot and stop motion and then you you go you shoot all that yeah, sequence then and then you develop the film and then you go look at the dailies and, see and something's okay. off, you know.
1: So I mean, to put it in the pro- the, the uh, put it in the kind of the point of view of you know what uh, like you said what computer power was like and how long it probably took to do this that's something that when you watch these special effects things making of Jurassic Park that they don't really talk about is that it probably took you know for it's probably uh, all in all not that many uh effect shots comparatively in the movie, maybe ten yeah, no. percent or something. And then but it probably took weeks I mean they would say that to just get like a three second, like one shot. I mean done. they had
0: three rooms of just memory for the computers and it would yeah to render something it would take something like a couple days it was something like per frame. It would take like six hours a frame. Yeah. You know, and the, or you know and then when you get to the complicated stuff like the T Rex it would take, you know, days and then once you have that thing rendered then you go back and look at it and it might not be right the color like you know a lot of us watch cartoons from the 80s you're watching transformers and all of a sudden like you know uh, optimus's arm turns a different color (laughs) because some some you know who knows what would happen, or the computer would do something differently you know it would you know it would fuck something up so it's just amazing to think that like how much time this must have took and this was the top of the line yeah. Like, you know, I mean, like, they were inventing the technology. Like, IBM was probably giving it, or ILM was giving it to Spielberg, you know, right offhand. Yeah, off well,
1: there. Dennis Muren talks about how, like, we just, like, we didn't know if we could do it. Yeah. Like, we were just learning how to do it and doing it. You know, we were just, they were trying to work, Phil Tippett was doing tests, and, and when you look at them, they look pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look, they actually look great, but they... You know, and then Dennis Buren called Spielberg. And he's like, you know, I think we could do this. Like, I think we could smooth it all out. I think we could do like realistic animation. Yeah, then th- and, and make it look really good. Uh, Should, do you want us
0: to try it? <laughs> yeah, to, to to quickly go back or jump in. Spielberg w- gets the idea to do this. He he thinks you know his biggest influence is King Kong. Uh, from 33, and, and that's amazing, an effects movie, if you want to go see some stuff there. And then he his idea is, after seeing the uh, the King Kong in Universal Studios on the ride, he goes, contacts the guy that did that, and their initial idea is to make animatronic huge, and they realize that's going to be very expensive, unrealistic, and it's going to look, it's, you know, there's limited motion. So then they go to Phil Tippett, and they're like, hey, let's try to do, uh, they're calling it um, blur motion, as opposed to it's whatever the stop motion evolved to and they were going to stop motion the whole movie so they did tests with Phil Tippett and the tests looked good but they didn't look great they looked stop motion so then that was the reason yeah. they're like maybe we could try to CGI this and do computers and then Tippett's like oh god that sucks we're going to lose our jobs and they're like no they, they figure out a way once they realize they prove that they can use the CGI they make armatures or models that the Tippett animators the physical animators can move yeah. Like you're doing stop motion, and the
1: computer's recording the movements, and then that is actually animating, as opposed so to they're drawing actually it. animating. They're physically and stop motion animating what, a, and the computer is capturing yeah. that information, and and then animating. So it. So they're please. actually kind of stop motion animating the, 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 animating CGI, CGI, the yeah. CGI, stuff, yeah, and then through the CGI they can smooth out kind of the jittery stuff that makes stop motion animation look a little bit less realistic,
0: and they did some sort of test for Spielberg where he said prove it and it was like the the dinosaurs in like a herd and then getting picked off by like T-Rex or something like that and uh, they're like wow this looks great and then they they do a very and you're right there's only like 50, there's only a, a handful of actual CGI like long shots but yeah. all the close-ups are for the most part are all you know uh, Stan Winston building practical uh, Life size Yeah either t, uh, T-Rex uh, The whole T-Rex The T-Rex head Or the, the uh, Raptors The foot That That's all uh, Practical And that's amazing And then that blend Or the um, Stegosaurus Is completely You know that's a practical Effect of puppets yeah, And stuff yeah. Like you're saying Throw in the kitchen sink Of what they can do With the time Yeah um, and, and then to, to blend it all To make it not Suddenly look like It's a CGI effect When they cut to a long shot And then back to you know, they, it, that's a very hard. I mean, I guess, too, like, it, it since the movie takes place at night, you yeah, know, you, you, it, you know yeah. there's rain, so there's a lot of things that you can maybe, you know, as opposed to the daylight. But they'd show the daylight at the beginning. Sure. With the bronchiosaurus and all them.
1: But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, as an effects movie, this is. A game changer for better or worse, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but it was based on a book which we kind of indicated because we, you know, when we're talking about Carnosaur by Michael Crichton, uh, and the script was he was hired to then adapt it to script, and then there was a, a version of it, there were versions of it written by other. Writers and then David Coepp Who I feel like we've talked about on the show before So I remember saying that name on the show We probably have but I, I didn't realize he wrote Death Becomes Her which yeah. I just brought So up. he yeah. he comes in and writes I guess like the final draft but he's known Like this guy he, he's a contender For I think for Sleepover Movie Hall of Fame Because he wrote I Come in Peace with Dolph Lundgren <sighs> yeah he wrote Toy Soldiers with Sean Astin and yeah. uh <laughs> And, and uh, Lugasa Jr yeah. Which is I love that movie he wrote Death. Well, he was one of the writers of these movies. One of the writers of Death Becomes Her, which would direct, Zemeckis did direct. One of the writers of Carlito's Way, which is a favorite of the Ada- adapted mine. from Edwin Torres. The Shadow. <laughs> Sam Raimi's Spider Man. <laughs> This guy's a uh, sleepover goal. So he's done some great stuff. This is shot by Dean Cundey, who we talked about last week, who shot, uh, who was the director of photography on Back to the Future. He's the director of photography of this. And that's the. Um, I have to amend the fact that I mistakenly spoke and I said that I didn't think that Dean Cundy shot uh, Big Trouble in Little China for Carpenter. But it turns out he did. Come here. <laughs> that's an attention getter. Remember next time. <laughs> Which is embarrassing for me because I consider myself a, a carpenter aficionado, um yeah, but I was you one movie everything. Off. You can't remember I everything. was one
0: movie off, you know, I forget everything nowadays, you know, I don't remember, but it. I think
1: I think that Big Trouble in China was the last movie Condy shot for Carpenter. um, if I'm wrong, I apologize <laughs> he <did laughs> star, time. Man. <clears throat> um, but uh and of course, music by John Williams, yeah, yeah. This is a powerhouse, uh, and, and
0: and and of course we have uh, the f- aforementioned Steven Spielberg helming the project, who we just uh, made love to last week on uh, Back to the Future. How much we love Back to the Future! Well, uh, I feel like Steven I did I Spielberg. bring this
1: up last week? You said
0: movie? you you last last week last episode, we, you said that there was uh, Spielberg moments he does, uh, and we may be doing. I'm quoting you directly. We may be doing <laughs> a Spielberg movie next week, or, or no, soon. And there's moments in that movie that make you laugh because we were talking about script logic, the yes, yes. tightness of scripts.
1: Uh, th- most, <clears throat> uh, most, more specifically in, the sp- in, the, in what I'm saying about Spielberg and at least what I meant and what I can talk about now is to me, no, possibly no director uh, working today understands the language of cinema better than Steven Spielberg in my personal opinion yeah I mean, I'm not making some blanket like this is <laughs> like last fat. week back, back to the be future best movie of all time
0: <laughs> may not you be know. my favorite but the best you know of course
1: in my opinion yeah and you know, I think we talked about in the context of Back to the Future because he produced it I, and I just brought it up because it reminded me like the end sequence with the clock tower and stuff yeah. it's just like so perfectly executed yeah. the tension the way the way uh, and the, you know and, and I'm not taking anything away from Zemeckis I'm giving Zemeckis credit for that but it reminds me of how perfect Spielberg tells a story have we
0: talked we've, we've especially last week we were talking mm-hmm. about the great Spielberg when Spielberg's on the project, and we brought Goonies up, yeah. we brought up uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Abbott, we brought up Back to the Future, we forgot Gremlins, Gremlins we bring all yeah. these movies that uh, young Sherlock Holmes, Poltergeist, all these movies that um, Spielberg has a hand in but is not directing. Ha- do, have we did a Spielberg movie on this cast? Raiders. Raiders, you're right. Okay, okay, you're right. But we to did we do, do another one. I don't, don't think know. So. I know we did Schindler's gr- List. <laughs> we did
1: <laughs> Schindler's a hell of a sleepover A hell of <laughs> a movie. Uh,
0: um,
1: we did Raiders. I think I think Raiders was the has been the only Spielberg directed movie okay. we've done so
0: far. Um,
1: but the way he tells a story, Spielberg, the way he conveys information, Spielberg conveys information cinematically, is like. When you see it, to me, when I see it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how you... Like, that's the best way to do it. It's the most efficient way to do it. Like, it's almost perfection, almost too perfect sometimes. Like I said, sometimes I see it and I laugh because, you know, sometimes if I go to a concert and I see like a guitar player do a solo that's just like so amazing like I'll laugh because it's just it's so yeah, it's good, so good. you just you know I, I remember uh, last time I specifically remember it is seeing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and seeing Mike Campbell who in my opinion is one of the most underrated guitar players of all time he did a solo in a song and I just laughed because it was just like it was shockingly and you're amazing and you're a guitar player too and you played a blues yeah so I appreciate yeah. guitar playing in that way as like a as a, a, an aspiring filmmaker a film lover uh Watching Spielberg movies, and spe- and in this case, this one is really like a masterclass of filmmaking, in my opinion. Whether you, whatever you think of like the movie as a whole, if you like the movie, you like the special effects, if you like the story, but the like the way he tells things, the way he conveys information within the frame of the shots and the way it's edited, is really like it's really so tight and perfect and I feel like if anybody really wants to see like the way a movie should be made or at least you know sometimes that's not the way you want to do it but just like that idea of like you need to know the rules before you can break the rules kind of thing yeah like I feel like this is a perfect example because even shots like um, in the beginning when is it the lawyer that goes to the amber mine yeah and, but it's Janeiro. like that, it's all in that one shot, and then it kind of pans very in very Indiana it Jones. Zooms yeah. in, and all
0: the lights. All the, the he, he the the in Spanish, he calls for all the, the miners to come with the, and none of the miners' lights actually <laughs> they all just look great, you know, and then it zooms yeah, yeah. in, and then yeah, and then they rack focus to the and then it, reveal
1: it, it reveals that the, the mosquito, the mosquito the, and uh, the amber like yeah. that is first Indiana of all, Jones. you like, I wonder how many takes I had to do with that shot to yeah. get the dolly. And the rack, folk.
0: <laughs> and it's funny because when he walks into the, you could tell, I, I could tell it's kind of a set. And when he yeah. walks into the mine, there's this one guy on the right, and he's not really mining hard. Yeah, he yeah. just looks like he's doing hard. <laughs> then he looks, you know, it's like that's his business for the scene. But yeah, it's it's it's, he, he to me is like last week. It's set ups and payoffs. Yeah, yeah. You know, he sets this. He lobs the the ball up. And then he hits it out of the park.
1: Well, uh, you know, another example is when uh, Wayne Knight, the Dennis Nedry Newman character. Yeah. When he ends up buying it in the car, yeah. you know, there's all that sequence, but then he gets in the car, and then there's the, the dinosaurs in the car with him, and then we cut to the outside of it. And you see the Wrangler shaking. We see the Wrangler shaking, and so, like, the, the you know, there are, of course, we see the lawyer get eaten, but... There's so many things where we don't really see what's happening, and then we just like follow. Like I feel like we follow the the water down the water to the shaving cream. The, the reveal of the shaving cream, and then that gets covered, and then we cut from this waterfall to the drain
0: pipe, and he's using it
1: to yeah, and and like Samuel's like taking a drink or like washing his face off, just like that. Edit is like perfect, you know. In Jaws, for instance, when they're building. There's a amazing edit when they're building the shark cage. Yeah, where it's like you kind of feel like you're seeing one thing, and then they the, lift, and it then up. The, they lift the shark cage, and you're like, "Oh, we're like." There's passage of time. It's like it, this cinematic language is amazing. Well,
0: even at the end, for me, the opening scene of this movie, when you have that, when the raptor cage, and that guy gets taken, and the tension that's created, oh, and you're sure, screaming, yeah. and then that even back then, I I I, I was almost. Chuckled like you say is yeah. like where the um, Muldoon is trying the, the the Game warden is trying to hold on to the guy yeah. and he starts to dissolve before the scene's even done. Oh and, yeah, and yeah. you're barely able to see, but you see that he lets go of the arm or the yeah, hand, yeah. and then that's it. That's all you need to know. And then within I don't know, maybe two frames later, it's gone. The dissolve, and we dissolve to Janeiro um, on the boat. He's trying to keep his balance in the Congo or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, like all in, these the little
1: touches. You know? are just
0: so. It's like he understands.
1: Expertly,
0: he also understands his audience.
1: He yeah. knows what the audience needs. But he's just like fluent in that language yeah. in a way that I feel like most directors aren't. Uh, the, the, the scene specifically that I was talking about that like genuinely made me laugh one time was I, w- I was watching TV and I caught Jurassic Park on television. I was flipping through the channels and I watched it for a while. And that's when Ellie, uh, the Laura Dern characters... <laughs> firing up the The breakers the the breakers and she goes he's like and you have to turn that you have to push the button and to do them all one by one and And then it pans down the last one (laughs) pans all the way down to the the electric fence the the perimeter fence and then we cut to that they're climbing the perimeter it was like it was it was it's chuckle. it's almost too perfect yeah and that it is kind of funny but I feel like he it's like the Jeep scene it's like
0: he sets up these little adventures Yeah, it's like all of a sudden
1: okay we're gonna start down slow and the Jeep
0: slips, Oh, we gotta go quicker. And then, ah, you know, the and Jeep's then there's, out, uh, and then
1: there's a Buster Keaton homage, which is, oh, they run forward the, and they end up in the in like the, the Jeep
0: falls on them, and yeah, it, and they end up inside the Jeep like the house going yeah. over them.
1: from Steamboat Bill Jr. Yeah, it's just his grasp on how to convey information cinematically is astounding. And yeah. we've talked about in probably Raiders, we probably talk about how. Uh, and then in Star Wars, we talk about how when we went to film school, film school, there was a very anti-Spielberg sentiment going on. Going on. Yeah, we went to a film school that was small, but geared towards art cinema. It was con- it was a conservatory, uh, and but so people. It was more about, like, art filmmaking, and to me, and not so much commercial filmmaking. And there was this anti-Spielberg thing that I just was never going to get on board with. (laughs) And I talked about the one movie that nobody could ever argue against was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because you're like, but what about Jaws? And even Jaws, to me, is, like... Uh, almost as close to perfection as you can get and, and, uh, and I don't know at some point we'll cover that movie we'll on here but pe- people are like I have Jaws and I was like really? and I was like well what about Raiders of the Lost Ark and nobody you ever can't fault it nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody will complain about Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark
0: <laughs> there was a level of pretension there and I think just you know uh, Adolescent kind of like Oh, oh sure. He's the best So we have to knock him down Because I brought up last week People used to bullshit about Saving Private Ryan Was out when we were in film yeah, school Yeah So they were just Used to slag it off And you know Well his You know Tom Hanks' character Doesn't change And I think One can argue that You know at the beginning Of the movie He has changed He went to war And he was a school teacher And now it's become a killer And this is you know And then you through the movie, you realize why yeah. he's changed because of the horrors of war. But people just, you just unmercifully used to just bash him. when We were in class and all the others because they, they instead like you know, you know who's a good filmmaker, Hal Hartley's. And that's, I'm not taking any way to think of Hal Hartley.
1: And Hal Hartley went to our school, yeah. so he was brought up a lot. He, it was, when he graduated from it the was same like you know it
0: was because we were in a, a an artsy kind of indie you know uh, fun exciting film school. We didn't want to look at the popular uh commercially successful people we wanted to focus on the people who like the Jim Jarmuschs and the people under the radar sure. that if and you we knew were, who they were they were
1: you were cool and we were coming out of that 90s indie which film we talked right? a lot about in we did be the Reservoir, Reservoir dogs, dogs yeah. podcast cuz we were just like the perfect age for that like indie boom of the 90s yeah. so by the time we got to film school it was so much about like that uh but this anti-Spielberg sentiment was uh it was unfortunate because I feel like there's...
0: And you never jumped uh, on that bandwagon?
1: Because everyb- th-
0: everybody was... I don't
1: think so. I always would argue because I, I would always be like, well, what about Raiders of the Lost Ark? yeah I never... And there was a big anti... And this was even before the remake, the new the episodes one through three of Star Wars. Yeah. You know, before Phantom Menace, there was like this anti-Lucas sentiment, which we, we talk a lot about in Raiders also because um, it was like, well, you, you only wrote the first one.
0: Yeah, but, he didn't do anything, and, and he, then we I, kind of figured it out ourselves by doing. Um, was it Raiders? Raiders, and we, and we, and then went and the we, Star Wars, yeah,
1: and we, but we rent, and we, you found the the transcript, the of transcripts of, of like the script meetings, and you see how much Lucas yeah. really kind of helmed the you know the the ma- like the the pre production, the development of of, that scripts of, of, of Raiders, yeah. Uh, but even like even some j- even jokes like you know when we have. When Ellie's going, when Laura Dern's going through the dinosaur poop, and then she's walking away, and uh, Jeff Goldblum says, well, I hope you're going to wash your hands before you eat. And then just before we cut, we see Sam Neill lift his foot up, like he he's, just in, he's looking to see if he stepped in shit, yeah, just, and then he cut like away. The, like the you know? timing, and it's all one shot. It's just like well, the, there, the blocking
0: of it and the timing of it is just perfect. It's all like, I remember being in the cinema, and I'd r- written a couple of this down in The Laughs, where like you see in that scene when at the beginning of that scene you see like you know Jeff Goldblum was like making love to the f- camera the entire movie yeah, he yeah. walks in and strikes this gorgeous Jim Morrison pose and he's like shit and then everyone laughed at that or yeah, later on yeah. like um, the part when the kid finds the goggles and Genero the lawyer is like are they heavy that means they're expensive Put them th-. everyone laughed at that yeah, yeah. or when when you realized what the uh, the ripples in the water meant. And then again, when Jeff Goldblum's by himself, sitting on the jeep, ready to go, and you see the the thing again in the puddle, yeah, he's like, yeah. "We have to go. We have to," you know. And everyone started laughing because the tension's being—it's coming back. You got to get, you know, it's like. Well,
1: you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one, it's iconic for that movie—the ripples in the water. Yeah, but you know, one of the things because that it, was like a teaser in itself.
0: Yeah, the kid looking at the water and what's that, and then you don't know. And well, like shit. in
1: writing, my book, Scored to Death and now doing the podcast, Scored to Death, where I'm talking to composers, uh, film music composers, and most of which are best known for horror movies. One thing that we talked a lot about in the book, and which came up frequently, and I didn't didn't have the honor of interviewing John Williams, but many of the guys brought up John Williams and his uh, score for Jaws. And like Harry Manfredini, who did the music for Friday the 13th talked about like his who you interviewed for your book who is in the book he was telling me uh, and it's in the it's in the interview in the book he he was telling me like it was a way of keeping quote unquote Jason even though it's not Jason in the first one spoiler alert but like the killer in the movie throughout the whole movie you know because we don't actually see the killer until like the, the last reel so it was like the POV shots, and he was like, "If I didn't have that, you might not know that those are point of view shots. That might, you might just think they were stylized shots." uh in it's almost to, like
0: having the, the 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 monster in that case, or in Jaws, has its own themes. So yeah, that
1: so having like the donut, yeah, that, even you though we don't see the shark, but they're in the we know that the around. shark's around. It could be in the water you know, And Claudio yeah. Simonetti talking to him about the Suspiria soundtrack, like the. Which you know, like the whispery voices in the in the Goblin soundtrack for uh, Suspiria was a way for them to say like the witches are always around; they're always a threat. To me, watching it this time after having done all these interviews with composers about how music essentially is character when the character when like the monster is not on screen those ripples and that sound that distant you know sound effect is the jaws soundtrack yeah. is the is what john williams does for jaws they're doing that in sound design and also in like you know cuz we don't we hear it more often than we actually see the ripples, you know, but that, that distant sound like impact of the, of the, of the, the Trenosaurus base. is a, the equivalent of the, of John Williams's skull, Jaws theme. And I just like watching it in that context. Now I was like, Oh, like that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, you're right. It's creates, it's creating tension. It was like, a, it was a, it was a trailer. It was a, uh, a, 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 promotion in and of itself like in the you'd see the, the ripples in like commercials and stuff yeah uh, it's forecasting like something bad is coming and it's putting the audience on edge uh brilliant stuff it's like um, a thunderstorm or something like yeah that.
0: It's, it's 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 on its way yeah. yeah i love it um so we go back we we, we we can start with michael Crichton. uh amazing guy he's an author. He passed away in 2008, but he was an author. He was a director. He was a a writer as well as a screenwriter and a novel writer. He went to medical school. Uh, He did his trials at uh, Boston Hospital. And while he was there, he kind of uh, got a little cynical on the whole industry of, of becoming a doctor because he didn't like how uh, the doctors were taking more presence over the patient so he ends up graduating with an MD but he never uh, gets his license to practice but he at the same time starts writing he starts writing like the Andromeda strain he writes a whole bunch of books he writes the script and directs the movie Westworld mm-hmm. which kind of has similarities here that's 73 people are now of course familiar with it because it's now on HBO um, but you also have the the theme that's sh- uh, very prevalent in Westworld and it's a theme that I think are in a lot of Crichton's books where it's uh he's cynical about technology and trusting technology. Sure, yeah. And it's what Malcolm is saying in this movie, just because you can do it you never think about should you do it. Sure. And
1: yeah. uh, well that's like a very important recurring theme in science fiction. Yeah, exactly. From the dawn of science fiction. I mean it's some people say that Mary Shelley invented science fiction with Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And that's that's the message in frankenstein yeah. and that's <laughs> so what like, they end up calling this you know yeah. the idea of like you thought so you were so worried about whether you could do it you never thought to stop to think whether you should do it and so it, it it is probably the oldest science fiction uh theme trope yeah. there is is that and you know it's it's in everything from terminator You know like the rise you know the rising Of the machines, technology yeah or even Alien the fear of technology And 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 ultimately the Consequences of uh, The evolution Of technology I mean it's and, and beautifully done in both Westworld and... Westworld.
0: Yeah, people will call the original Westworld movie dated, but I think there's so much awesome stuff going on. If you haven't seen it and only know the HBO show, you should really check it out. There's a lot of cool stuff. But it's the first time you have like a, a computerized image in a movie, 2D computerized image, as well it's the first reference to, I think, a computer virus ever really in the mainstream because the, the, the computers get viruses, and that's why everything goes haywire. And in the 70s, he ends up doing a... Jeez, he writes... uh Rising Sun, which is uh, the, you know, the the Sean Connery movie from the early nineties. He does Disclosure. He did Sphere. Remember Sphere with yeah. uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, didn't Sharon Stone. He also do, like he did uh, Coma. He did well. He he directed Coma, which was but off another novel. But it wasn't
1: based. On yeah, his which novel. is
0: another great movie that had a revamp done recently. But in the in the trailers, they gave away the the whole hook of what <laughs> Coma was about. It's like they gave away the ending. And Coma is a great movie, which takes place in Boston. That's why I brought up Boston before. Um, but he did uh, the Lost World. He did Prey. He did um, uh, the Great Train Robbery, which is a which is a kind of an adventure movie, uh, historical fiction, I think, with um, Sean Connery and um, Donald Sutherland. He did uh, Runaway in the '80s. You know the Tom Selleck movie. Mm-hmm. He directed that as well. Uh, so he has all these great movies and books, and uh, you know he's he's kind of been. Compared to, like, an Edgar Rice Burroughs or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle with The Adventure, he has, like, The Adventure kind of a movie, like the serial, but he, his, his idea or his niche is he brings the, the uh, technology or sci-fi, like, the cutting sure. edge into it, but and that's his angle. At the same time, though,
1: didn't he also create, like, ER? Yeah. So The, t- <laughs> the television show was based on a, move, the, a movie they were going to do together. A script that he was trying to shopped to Spielberg. Spielberg. And then I guess it got turned into a TV show instead. Yeah, so he's doing... So prolific, to say the least. Because he's going to medical school and he's
0: writing, and that's when he does the Andromeda strain and some other things. And uh, by the time he hit the 80s after, I I forget what year Runaway is, maybe that's 83 early 80s to 84 85 his career is kind of stagnant so he's meeting with Spielberg to shop this you know I was almost a doctor you know I'm very well in the the, you know and he was going to pitch this ER style show or movie that turns into the show that we know and love from the 90s but while talking to Spielberg he brings up this idea that he's been toying with since the early '80s of a yeah. dinosaur novel. Sure,
1: and because this is amazing. He was a big GI Joe fan. Yeah,
0: and he loved the episode of GI Trimodial Joe. Primordial
1: plot, which is <laughs> what
0: 1983
1: or '84. <laughs> That's uh, it. Aired November 21st, 1985. Okay, and the plot of that, which I think we brought up when we were doing the, the Sepentor, Rise of Serpentor, Uh because we were talking about how. Cutting edge Joe ahead of its time, This was the co- Cobra kidnaps a scientist who has discovered how to clone dinosaurs. They bring uh, them to life on a hidden island, and the Joes must escape the reptiles to rescue the scientist. And
0: that's cutting edge technology because in the late seventies, you had uh, a movie I bring up often, "The Boys from Brazil," which is based off a novel that was about cloning. So that was like a whole on the forefront. Seventies was like computer technology and like geneticism and like yeah. genie. So like. You know, come to the 80s, that's all in the psyche of, you know, and uh, his idea in the early 80s was he wrote a, a, a script first that no one really liked and uh, about, it was from a boy's point of view about it, uh, uh, dinosaurs. At first, it was like a college dinosaurs. kid. Dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> and it was about a college kid. Dino who, DNA. Who does his own dinosaur DNA in college. And then he, the people he had to read said, it, you know, maybe you should change it to an adult point of view. And- he, he was trying to wrap around, which is really interesting. He was going to scientists and for a couple of years he was really trying to wrestle in his head if this would be plausible enough to be convincing to write in a book. So he goes to talk to geneticists and they 're like theoretically, this could work. Yeah. They did it with a bull weevil they found like a, a a weevil that had DNA, but the you know so theoretically you know if you could find an animal in the amber that was you know you could do it so he changes it. From uh, a boy to having it be, and then he's thinking to himself, well, why in this day and age would we need, need what was, what's the need to create dinosaurs? It's not like that, remember that 80s toys where there was the dinosaurs where you had like the, the robots on top, or it was, it was guys, this is, I know, this is right out of left field. <laughs> there were dinosaurs, right? But the, the idea was you have like, the Tyrannosaurus would have like a backpack on, it be like a human
1: yeah but it was but it wasn't life. like
0: it wasn't like cavemen it was like uh yeah. they were like they had like goggles on and it was, it was something like i don't yeah. know futuristic people go back to that age and they they tame dinosaurs and make them like their companions. Sure. Like, we're not doing that nowadays. We had parties. Dinobots. Dinobots from Transformers. Yeah. So so he says the only conceivable way nowadays someone would want to do it, aside from like saying they can do it, is to make it an amusement park. Yeah. So that's his idea, is to turn it into an amusement park and have it be something that people, and then we go back to the Westworld thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you think about it, really the only two plots you could go with are something like Jurassic Park, which is uh, like entertainment on a family level yeah like the or, flea service, or you do like you go dark and you go with like most dangerous game you make an island and you make an island bringing bringing where people, just people can go and hunt big yeah game <laughs> it's like it's like dog fighting
0: to the kazillionth level so he yeah. ends up doing this book and what's amazing is we go back to him his conversation with Spielberg he hasn't either started writing the book yet, or he's only in the infancy of writing the novel that comes out in 1990, Jurassic Park. And Spielberg already says, I'm interested, I want to make a movie. Then there, there's a bidding war that goes before the book is done, and uh, Crichton doesn't want to start a bidding war, but he says, listen, there's a non-negotiable $1.5 million fee for my license to do the book. Take it or leave it. So you have Tim Burton and Warner Brothers, because Tim Burton's huge, it's doing... A what-if game. Yeah, he's doing Batman, so they bid for it. You have... Um, uh, what's his face from uh, Donner Donner who, and Columbia Pictures because he had done Superman you have Joe Dante who had done Gremlins With and 20th stuff 20th Century Fox and then you also have Jim Cameron who would you know of course did Abyss and Terminator uh, wanting to do it too but uh, Spielberg wins yeah. and if you think about it, if Jim Cameron would have did this movie he probably because the book is a lot gorier yeah. and I read the book I'm a fan of the book I, to my own personal opinion it's a little long winded but yeah. that's not either here there I read the book there.
1: when the movie came out yeah.
0: yeah and it's great and what you end up seeing is there's a lot of elements of the book that end up coming up in Lost World the sequel to this movie sure and I feel like use. there's
1: even stuff is it Lost World there might be there's stuff in other in other ones
0: too yeah that they, and the third one where you have, like the, you have like the triceratops that. flying and all I mean they really I mean the not to go down the, this row but the the basis of the of the book is basically uh it begins off the coast of Costa Rica there's some workers who get hurt uh they don't know who hurt them they get attacked by some sort of unknown animal that the, then the company tries to like uh dead and not let anyone know so they bring these paleontologists in to try to figure out what it was who are are Sam Neill and um Uh, Laura Dern character, but then all of a sudden Hammond, Richard Attenborough, shows up in the book and says whisks them away to this island, and he has this island full of dinosaurs, but, like the movie, the uh, investors are a little skeptical that, you know, is this safe? Can we do it? So he brings these Safe? Is it safe? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you have have Sir uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier start fucking with Sam Neill's tooth, and he's like, I don't know what you mean! (laughs) This is reality! This is not reality! Is it safe? Ah." Um and you have so they, they're brought to the island and then what happens in the in Hammond in the book the Richard Attenborough character is very much more he's not the, the movie makes him very sympathetic which yeah. I love but in the movie he's kind of he's eccentric he's a good hearted guy but he's so driven by um, his vision that you know that people he's not start seeing the consequences. Yeah, exactly. Which you see a little bit in this movie, like sp- certainly in the scene where he's he's comfort eating the ice cream. Yeah, when I
1: walked out. Yeah, when <laughs> you walked where, the out. The scene I didn't see until much later.
0: Yeah, you see a little of that there, where he's like, "We can start again. Who cares?" You know. But so then, the, then what ends up happening in the movie or in the book is that again you have the uh, the industrial espionage where you have the um, Nedry character try to get uh, get the stuff off the island. Sure, yeah. He turns the shit off, and then it becomes this whole of this tropical storm coming hits the island, and then the power goes out. They have to try to fight through the, through the island, you know, because the T. Rexes. You have the flying. Um, uh, 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 what do you call those? Ty uh, tyrant. T- 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 um, no, we they're we'll on the tip go, of my. Mat say it. Uh uh, uh, yeah, I can't believe we This is all of our elementary school uh, learning. We've, we've, uh, because I could see it in my head. Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. Very good. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, you have all that elements in it, and, um, the fear becomes, in the book very quickly, is that the boat left, but they find out that, one, the animals are breeding because, as in the movie, they gave them frog DNA and they've t- the females have turned into a male to the next step in the chain. But the raptors have gotten off and they're on the ship, the boat.
1: So, so it's, it's, it's like zombie. Yeah. yeah. So the like sh- blue-chip-pulgy <laughs> <zombie>. Exactly. <laughs> so what they're
0: trying to do is they're trying to get the power on, one, to get the power on to secure the island, two, to get the power on to stop the cargo ship tell them to turn back. Yeah. And they eventually do that. The Costa Rican... Uh, uh, National Guard or Air Force come save him take him away Hammond dies in the book because he's like we can rebuild he goes for a walk falls down a hill gets eaten a lot of the people get eaten some people survive there's bigger roles in the book for its various characters and at the very end of the book uh, our remaining characters are sequestered at a hotel and you find out that in the South American jungles there are these unknown packs of animals that are now killing other animals and uh taking lysine which i think they need in this yeah you know so it's left up like you know shits it's like you know the virus is out you know and that's how it kind of ends and then uh he publishes this in 1990 and they're already got the the movie in production yeah and he gets another five hundred thousand dollars to adapt it back into a script yeah so he's just cashing it in And he writes the first draft and he says, that uh, you know, probably 10 to only 10 to 20% of the original book, which is much more dark and gorier, is in the script because the script, you you know, you hone it, you mainline it. Spielberg, certainly, I think it is a decision out of Spielberg here. There's certain elements you could have had be a lot gorier that they do not have. There's not a lot of, you
1: think about how gory this movie could be. Yeah, well, Spielberg never really got, he only really went. He does that for like super the, dark when he's producing. <laughs> no, but
0: you know what he does do with darken. He does do it in like historical pieces, like Amistad, yeah, yeah. uh, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. When he's doing stuff that's real, he'll go as dark as. To sh- but for this stuff where he's trying to invite children, and you're right, he only unless he's doing it vis a vis another director, <laughs> yeah, and then he's, he's
1: doing his like very very fucked up themes. Like yeah. you know, you know, I was wondering. Look, there, there's. I, I would I would imagine that there's still. A large population of film lovers who don't like the serious Spielberg. They don't think things like Schindler's List, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan are good. And you know, I imagine there, there, you could have this conversation of like, well, well like, how come he's just he's if he's so great at film language, <laughs> if he's such a great director, how come he can't? Do that, like, how come those movies stink? Would be a point of view,
0: yeah. And then why?
1: Why do they think they?
0: Why, what's the argument that they stink?
1: I, I Is don't because know. they're too
0: heavy-handed or they're too
1: serious. I can imagine that. Like, I or because I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of them. Yeah, be honest with you. Like, I never really cared for any of them. Yeah, you know, and, uh, in terms of like, I saw them once and I was like I'll never I don't ever need to watch these movies again like they're like okay like I but I could see that people would imagine would could say that they're pretty heavy handed.
0: I wonder if that's also because it's uh, for you particularly, you know, you don't gravitate towards historical fiction to watch over and over again like a Gettysburg and stuff where you've seen it once you're good where these other ones are like You can watch the. the, You can't. Who's going to sit and watch Schindler's List multiple times? (laughs) You know, I mean, Saving Private Ryan, you could for like the action sequences, the authenticness of World War II. I would
1: just, I just, I kind of feel like, on top of this thing I was talking about about like the grasp on cinematic language, blah blah blah. He also has just like this uncanny ability to like tap into wonder. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, whether it's, you know, even Jaws has it to a certain extent, like this there's the horrificness of the shark and, and goriness going on it. But there's this, and John Williams score is a great example of, you know, how music can this like adventure on sea, you know, this guy's out on, (laughs) on, on water, you know, there's, there's that. And then you have, uh, you know, something that is definitely not a kid's movie, but like close encounters, uh, E.T. Certainly. You know, all the Raider, all, all the Indiana Jones movies, Jurassic those, Park. There's just like there's this sense of wonder. But then you have Hook, which is like and maybe too on the nose. Yeah. You know, it was like it was too much. <laughs> he took that sense of wonder to like the absolute ledge of how far you could take yeah. it. And maybe that's why that's not as successful. But it's just like this. And that's why I kind of – I think we talked a little bit about – uh, Ready Player 1 last week yeah. It was like I kind of lo- like it was like the sense of Spielberg wonder you know that that uh seems to have been absent in in a lot of his later films
0: I wonder if I, I wonder if um all those movies especially like Close Encounters or especially E.T. they're, they're they start off as Spielberg movies but then you have an a, a level of seriousness where at the serious seriousness <laughs> seriousism I'm going to call it seriousism <laughs> Where you have, like, at the end, remember, like, the government comes to take sure, E.T. Yeah. away. And all of a sudden, it turns into a very different movie where it's not just hiding, a, 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 you know, a fun, cuddly yeah. animal. And I wonder if the
1: argument oh, yeah. there has to be conflict. Yeah, you
0: know. but I mean, I, the conflict could be just getting him out and getting him home by the by the sure, you know yeah. before the bell rings. I don't know. <laughs> <You> know <laughs> it's but the same, government
1: say by the bell.
0: Yeah, but the government certainly comes and it becomes something very different. We're freaking what's his face? Uh, my Peter Coyote comes and he's taking him away and it's a crying yeah, yeah. fest. Um, but I wonder if the criticism towards the more heavy-handed, serious movies is because we've fell in love with Spielberg's way of storytelling in these. Popcornish movies or these genre pictures like a Jaws or a a E.T. or Raiders of Lost Ark that when he's doing these serious movies he's taking us under the guise that he's Spielberg but then he's showing us stuff that's so quote-unquote horrific with the Holocaust or with the Normandy invasion or slaves being thrown off a boat while they're alive in Amistad that it's like people feel like they've been not cheated but it's like I didn't come to see this I came to see a movie sure, you know what I mean yeah. like a pop gun a pop gum a popcorn filled movie and I'm not looking to be yeah. all of a sudden coming out crying because, yeah, you know I'm sure I mean?
1: nobody's going to Schindler's <laughs> list expecting that yeah. but I get your point I mean you know look this is the evolution of 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 artists you know and I'm sure we've had this discussion on here numerous times where it, there is this thing where prolific artists yeah so. where like artists whether it's musicians or filmmakers uh you know that there's this thing where more often than not it seems like they get worse or at least their stuff is not as appreciated. And maybe some of it has to do with nostalgia from, yeah. by the viewer. And so it's audience driven, but there is this like, it's I- hard to have a guy. There is this on. idea who that like, maybe it's, you know, hunger, you know, breeds creativity or a level of success.
2: Or Which you goes really along got, with that,
1: a level of success. If you can do anything, yeah, it's it's a bad. Then you know, we, I often talk about the idea of like restriction. We talked about it with Back to the Future, how like not being able to have the ending they had planned on doing because of financial restriction ended up giving yeah, them better, the most yeah. perfect ending they could have had.
0: And it could also be a one note. You know, maybe they're they only have that one big movie idea, and that becomes such an iconic. You know, like and
1: like every Scorsese movie is like two and a half hours because it can be now. Yeah. Whereas, like someone who is critical of Scorsese could say, like, you know, why don't you try making an hour and a half movie? Yeah, <laughs> and maybe it would be a little, you, could, you know, it would maybe be better. Arguably, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily making an argument because there there are plenty of more recent Spielberg uh, Scorsese movies that I that I really like a lot. But I could see like that being an argument, and you know, and, and so looking at it through Spielberg,
0: and Spielberg is unique in the sense where maybe you can maybe get this with Carpenter, but A lot of these other icons like De Palma and, uh, you know, Scorsese or whoever.
1: uh, I mean, Carpenter's a perfect example.
0: Where they're, they're, um, not only are they helming and writing their own stuff, but then Spielberg, this is my point, is that he's, he's also, if he's not directing something, he's doing another movie with somebody else. Yeah. So he's always doing something where a lot of these guys, you know, you don't really see too much of. You know, I think maybe Carpenter a little bit, but a lot of these guys aren't doing, maybe nowadays, executive producing. But Spielberg, since the beginning, since I say the late 70s, he's always been just as much as directing and writing or doing movies. He's also either executive producing movies or he's helping them sure. get made. He's having a physical hand in them. So he's yeah. ginning out a lot of product, uh, either by another director or by himself.
1: But I'm just trying to think of, for Spielberg, like, the second Jurassic Park movie which I have almost no recollection of yeah last time I saw it was the movie theater and it was also like the worst experience scenario yeah in that it was packed and I was sitting like front row as far right as you could so it wasn't even like I was in front at, you know, and I was looking at, it at, an, yeah. at like a, at an angle as far as like it was just an awful viewing experience, um, and oh, that's yeah. probably the last time I saw it. That's the
0: last time I saw it in the theater. So
1: I I, I just like to me I don't remember it. Vince Vaughn's in it most, you know, for the And like Julianne Moore's in it, right? Yeah, and they have like, that. You know, I, they take a lot of things out of a, this.
0: Remember the beginning, which is in this book, where the beginning of this book, Jurassic Park, kids are on a beach on yeah, a holiday. Yeah. And they're attacked by these little things, and it's, ki- it's quite horrifying. Sure. Yeah. And that's what they do in Lost World. Yeah. But you know. I'm just thinking, like... Also directed by Spielberg and written by um, uh, Crichton.
1: But, like, Jurassic Park and then, our, um, I'm guessing, Jurassic Park 2... Lost World. ...was really, like, the end of, like, the Spielberg wondrous era you know, like he, well, he takes time. He, he then switches gears because even things like Minority Report. Yeah. uh War of the Worlds, which are dealing in science fiction are much darker. Munich. uh Well, yeah, but that's, you know, like that's again, more factual. along the lines yeah. of, of something. But even like when he's dealing with science fiction, oh. it's still a much more adult, serious yeah. version of it and not having like that whimsy well, that his earlier know, films have.
0: W- um, he ends up, he's, This, he's going to do Schindler's List and Schindler's List gets greenlit by Universal Studios, but they say you must make Jurassic Park first. So he does Jurassic Park while in pre-production for Schindler's List. And this is a mindfuck, especially for people, you know, if you think about when you're in this business, he goes to Poland to start Schindler's List and he's in, he's shooting Schindler's List or pre-production in Poland when he's doing post-production on Jurassic Park. So to be able to be bipolar and... Deal with the funness of Jurassic Park, the seriousness of Schindler's List, and then after those two movies, he takes four years off, and that's I think the first time you think about his career, he takes this big sabbatical, yeah. you know, because he maybe was doing too much or it was just it just I mean Schindler's List is such a fucked up movie. I've only seen it once in the theater because I felt like you know it's it's hard it's a hard movie to watch, yeah, because it's so truthful, it's so honest, it's 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 so fucked up. I saw it at the movies
1: because it was. Ninth grade? Yeah, I did the same thing too. They took us to see it. Or and They didn't, didn't take us to see it, but or I seventh. was writing a paper about Spielberg. And they took you to see and it? And my English teacher was like, and it was already out of theaters. My, my English teacher was like, if you, she's like, well, what movies are you going to talk about? And she's like, you're not going to talk about Schindler's List? And I was like, no, because I don't, haven't seen it. She's like, if you don't see Schindler's List included in this paper, I'm going to fail this paper. <laughs> so, luckily, I found it at Cine 10 Second Run Theater. Nice. For $2.99. And you went Probably by yourself? I went by myself. My Jesus. mom like, dropped me off. And you're the only one in the theater? Like, you <laughs> <laughs> watching that red dress. <laughs> I don't know if I was the only one. I also saw the English patient that way and I have no idea why I went to go see the English patient like by well, myself. Well, cuz everyone told everyone said you have to
0: <laughs> see, see that by myself. But like too. Schindler's list is such a hard movie for various reasons to watch. So I wonder if just after, you know, it's it del- it's delving with themes that are really messed up. You know, it's like there's a movie that um, Timothy Blake Nelson did called the the Gray Zone, which yeah. I love. That's so hard to watch. These are movies you don't just pop on. You know yeah. i mean it's and we're not Ooh, even talking like torture porn Schiller's it's like
1: this song yeah let's let's watch it
0: from the <laughs> beginning you know it's just so messed up so maybe it just having to and it's they're so realistic even down to like the weapon used maybe he just you know it's a little he's done with the he's feels like he's exhausted that avenue yeah. you know and uh i mean he came back and he did another indiana jones and he did another you know um i guess he doesn't be part of the star wars you know, but he's just done other projects. Yeah. Well, I was just you saying know,
1: like the evolution of like an artist, he just, that is interested gone. in something else. You know, he has the clout
0: to be able to tell who can make a Schindler's list except Spielberg, who would greenlit a movie that, of that, um, uh, epicness that unless, you know, to, 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 to shoot black and white on top of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you know, again, it's a testament to only Spielberg can make these movies or save private Ryan, which I, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Um, it, it only he can do some of these movies you know in in that way, so maybe he did come back a little messed up, and then he felt like these are different you know he's already told these you know or the he thought the air was gone the world well, was saying. I
1: think I was saying last week when I heard you know when somebody was like my friend was like, you know what do you think of ready Player One before it had come out, And I was like, I don't know, I didn't read it i don't i didn't know I don't know the source material, but there was like there was like a television commercial where they quoted some critic that was like, you know, pure Spielberg movie magic. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) And I was like, this might be the greatest movie ever made. Like, I could go for that. I feel like I haven't had that for a really long time. (laughs) I
0: mean, he's one of the people who have not kind of clunkered out. He's still generating good product and he's still one of these people who are able to make these amazing, I don't know if ready... player one did as well as they thought it would and I've talked to people who've read the book who were kind of upset that they changed a little too much yeah. from the book uh, and that's always an issue for people like hunger well, yeah, games I mean, and stuff just too,
1: you know two completely different
0: media yeah so and then it didn't do as well as they thought it would so you know but he's the kind of guy that can do these things so he he, he Helms Jurassic Park. They were going to shoot it in Costa Rica. He's like, no, it's too much. Yeah. You know, it's it, the, the infrastructure isn't right. So we need to be able to get equipment places. So yeah. we need roads. <laughs> so, yeah, where we're going, we don't need roads. So he ends up shooting it between California and Hawaii. And then Hawaii ends up having a hurricane while they're shooting. And that's – for years I've always thought that Samuel Jackson had such a kind of crappy death in this movie. You only see his arm. And you're like, oh, what happened to Samuel Uh, but it's because they they made this... He had a bigger, elaborate death scene, but they made this set that got destroyed by this hurricane. So a lot of the... Footage of the of the uh, storm you see in in this movie is a B roll that they shot yeah. during this it's hurricane. Like Cundy out, in the yeah, <laughs> He's standing you know, in the lobby, of getting the opening the door. At yeah, the I mean, hotel, I mean, I mean it was know. a pretty bad hurricane. I forget the name of the hurricane, but they said like you know that they they in the hotel they move people into the ballroom for safety. And Richard Attenborough slept his himself through it in his bed, and people are like, "How can you sleep through this?" He's like, "Honey, like I." I survived the fucking blitzkrieg <laughs> in London. This is nothing, you know. Yeah, I can sleep yeah. through this stuff. And Richard Attenborough, a, a big—I'm a big fan of him and his brother David Attenborough, who does all the nature stuff. He hadn't acted since 79, 1979, and he was doing—he uh, he did Gandhi in the eighties, but he was doing post production on Chaplin. And Spielberg delayed the beginning of this to have him finish Chaplin, to have him come back and, and, and uh, start acting again. He did this movie, and he plays such a great—he's kind of like yeah. Uncle Scrooge in this movie. You know he's got the Scottish accent. He's you know he's 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 freaking Mr. Moneybags. And I and when I was watching that opening scene where you see him lure them at the dig site to come to the island, and he you know he jumps up on the on the uh, yeah, on yeah. the counter. It's like I want to see a backstory movie, like a an Indiana Jones movie about the, the Hammond character. That'd be so yeah. cool. Him and his youth. You know like With his flea Yeah and, and doing like You know and, and going on these crazy adventures How did he make his money Is he an adventurer Is he, you know I want to see like An Edgar Rice Burroughs Serial kind of indie yeah. Indiana Jones well, I mean, movie I'm you know?
1: guessing it's You know A P.T. Barnum Kind of a guy Kind yeah. of yeah, <laughs> character
0: you know, As opposed to like A Rupert Murdoch He's I mean like the, a,
1: But you know Since we're talking about him I mean the cast in this movie I'm trying to think If this was like My introduction to Sam Neill
0: uh, What year is um, uh, In the Mouth of yeah. like the
1: next year I think
0: And then Because I knew who Sam Neill was at the time He's in the Omen What three Two Two No you're right Three
1: Omen three Yeah
0: Because it's the little Kid still in two Yeah Right So I I knew him
1: from that And then when's Memoirs of mean, invisible man I mean I seen it But I don't know if I had Made that connection When's the- Memoirs Oh, memoirs is first, but I don't know if I had seen because
0: I saw that right when I, I, saw, I might have saw that in a the theater. Yeah, And he's the bad guy in that, and that's he's great in that movie. He's got he's got that line where he's like, uh, "If you don't do what I say, I'm gonna have my friend here. I'm
1: gonna cut off your balls, lightly saute them, and my friend here is gonna eat them." <laughs>
0: I used to love that. I mean, wow. but
1: since Jurassic Park and In the Mouth, especially In the Mouth of Madness, like he's become one of my favorite
0: actors. I yeah, mean, he's,
1: and he's perfect in this movie. He's great. You know, um,
0: they they offered it to Harrison Ford and he said no. They offered it to some other people. Kurt Russell said no, I guess supposedly. But Sam Neill, it's
1: like it's like a perfect. I mean I was a big deal For some reason It must have been I must have been posting about In the Mouth of Madness But at some point Like Sam Neill started Following me on Twitter And I was like Oh my god Yeah
0: <laughs> I, I, He started following me Because he has that vineyard In New Zealand And it, it's a very successful
1: uh, Vineyard And yeah. I, I don't know if Is he from New Zealand? Uh, he's at least Australian But I think he must be From
0: yeah. New Zealand um, He's in a
1: movie That I've come to really I came too late in life Because I think It was hard to get um, Possession? Is that the name of it? Oh, yeah. That is one crazy movie. I told Dave, Silver Bullet Dave, yeah. the guy that did, so our kid, we went to, a guy that we went to film school with who's one of my best friends. I told, I said, you know, Dave, I think you should, have you seen it? Because I think you should see this movie because I think you, I said, let me put it this way. Like the Dave that I met in film school would love this movie. So I feel like you should watch it. I said, it's really weird. And then he called me back. He's like, so I watched it. He's like, weird's an understatement. <laughs> But Sam Neill's in that movie, and I just I love Sam. He's a Niel. phenomenal, uh,
0: phenomenal actor. I mean, and in with this role, he had just finished. Um, I forget the name of the movie, but he only got it like a couple weeks before they started shooting. He said, like
1: four weeks, or yeah, something, yeah. And he just,
0: I mean, and I mean, it's it's not like he needed intense. I, I could see if he wanted to go on some archaeological digs and stuff. Yeah, or but, you
1: know, he said he didn't read the book. He didn't know the movie. He didn't know anything about it. Yeah, when he got the and he's like, next thing I know, I'm working with Steven Spielberg. Of course, Lord Dern. Uh, Who's adorable in this movie?
0: And it's weird because she's in another movie I love around the same time, A Perfect World. And then she kind of falls off the map. She didn't do as much. She's back recently. She was just in the last Star Wars movie, which I have not seen yet, The Last Jedi. But for a while there, she became like remember like um, what's the girl that kind of um had a nervous breakdown and went away? That was in that Harrison Ford movie where they they crash on the island and they oh yeah you know her. You know, she was like a lesbian for yeah, a minute. Yeah, she was in uh, Donnie
1: Brasco. Yeah, or...
0: her. It's like th- there's these girls that have these huge careers for a minute, and then maybe it's conscious, like Rick Moranis. Like, you know, he yeah. took care of his kids, so he stopped acting, but it's like Laura Dern seems to like come and went for me, you know? Well,
1: No, I think, you know, in the in the biz, <laughs> I think in the film business, for it to be an actress is a tough yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Because you there's can... A window. There's, there's a w- There's a window, and then there's another window. You know, there's like you can be like young and attractive and then you can be like middle-aged or older, but then there's this, there's this time in between. Like, I think (laughs) there's this time, like in between those points where it's hard to get cast. Yeah. You know, there's just not parts that are for women that are like, 40.
0: yeah because they're either going you unless know, they write it specifically you know yeah. so
1: the, you know so I feel like that happens to a lot of Patricia Clarkson yeah I feel like that happened to her too like she was in what that dirty Harry movie she was in a lot of stuff Deadpool yeah like early on the and then she 80s. disappeared yeah. and then all of a sudden she was in like a million things in the 2000s you know like I feel like that happens to a lot of actresses because there's this weird time uh in uh, age wise for women where it's hard to get cast in things at a certain age you can either be young or you can be older but you can't be in the middle yeah
0: I see that in, well, you know my day job in the news business you know you You're always worried when you get to our age because you have the younger people coming in, the the more attractive, younger, and then you're starting it. And women, you know, I mean, some people age better or worse than other people, so it's hard. Then the next thing is, do I have uh, cosmetic surgery or do I have, like, body augmentation? And then, you know, so it's very hard. So I could see, especially in the film business, because if the roles aren't there— you know, if you're only looking for a you know a young married couple, a teenage college yeah. college that, or you're the, you know you're the uh, the patriarch kind of a woman yeah. in their forties. You could 50s. be like
1: a co- you could be like a child actor, which she was. Yeah. she was pretty young when she started acting. She's in like Mask uh, with Eric Stoltz, and um, she's in and then in, in her early in like her early twenties to mid twenties, she's in some David Lynch movies. But there's like this point where it's like you as an actress you can be like the starlet and then you can be like the mother of the starlet yeah (laughs) and then there's that section in between like before you you have to be old enough to play like the mother of somebody in the movie and then for
0: me now it's weird seeing people because sometimes these people are cast and then the kids young or the kids like older and i can't it doesn't even jive to me that, that that that's that's the mom (laughs) in a movie but anyway
1: yeah and then of course Jeff Goldblum Uh, amazing there was a phone book of people who who they what if we went what if games for uh, for the Alan Grant Sam Deal part apparently they had offered it to William Hurt who turned it down which I could see I could Harrison Ford I
0: could see that too again Um, Hurt Russell
1: I could see and then uh the Ian Malcolm Jeff Goldblum part Jim Carrey Tried out for it And apparently They liked him But yeah. then once They had the idea Of like You know who would Be good in this Is Jeff Goldblum Everyone's yeah. like Oh yeah Let's get Jeff Goldblum um, The guy that plays Dodgson In the beginning Of the movie Who's the guy That gives Oh
0: the shaving cream uh,
1: He he apparently He auditioned Cameron Thor Is his name He auditioned for Because he was in Hook and uh and apparently they had uh, talked also uh, Spielberg says he always wanted Laura Dern but they had also talked to Robin Wright
0: yeah about it and there a couple other p- uh pretty prominent ladies again the phone book odd, um either were trying to get the part but i guess they had Laura Dern in mind the entire time and it's interesting with with the uh Jeff Goldblum character you know he's in of course The Fly yeah. And I've only seen The Fly once, when it night it aired on HBO on my birthday in 1987, and that's the, the I'm like I'm fine with not seeing it again because it was so <laughs> horrific, but I remember in that him wearing the same clothes every day, and yeah, he talks yeah. about the, Einstein. I remember that very young. I was like, oh, that's such a great idea, you know, yeah. and you know that was why I would go I would go to bed with my clothes on, so when I wake up in the morning, I wouldn't have to you know I could sleep <laughs> a little more in my parochial school uniform. But in the in the Jurassic Park book, the character Ian talks about um that's he wears the same thing every day like the the clothes because it's the idea of einstein which goldblum addresses and yeah you know so that's why his outfit is he's kind of looks like the the bat leather jacket the bad you know his his shirts down to like his nipples open you know he's got the <laughs> you know i mean very sexy you yeah. know striking a pose
1: well there was a period there and i think nowadays uh you know i think some of the millennial ladies you know, I think they've come around and they, they're finding Goldblum sexy. But hey there ladies. was a period there where he was like a heartthrob. Yeah. With like, uh, uh, what's the... Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, yeah. You know, there was, he was... And then he was the original Mac Yeah. guy for, for Macintosh, the commercials. Yeah. And, and then he was, got
0: weird looking in the early odds like because he kind of, you know, like he was getting older. He sh- shaved his head. You know, he had the glasses. He's like kind of yeah. learned. He's in like... A slew of shows, like, he was in, like, a law and order, maybe criminal intent. He sure, was, yeah. He was, like, in a lot of those, like, psyches, like an investigator with, a, with, a, with an eccentricity that's going to help him solve crimes. And then now he's kind of, you know, he, then remember how big he was in freaking um, uh, Independence Day Independence in the Day, mid-'90s? Yeah. That was, again, over the top. You know, I always
1: thought that it was weird that they brought him back for the second one. Because you thought he... It was like, of all the people to bring back to
0: I help out... I think he passes away in the book, too, because,
1: you know, he's, he's... But it was like, you're going to bring back, like, the math guy? Yeah, why would he... I mean, I know, like, the, the story is that, like, Julianne Moore is, like, his ex-wife or something, but, like, in the context of writing a second movie... I mean, maybe they. Just I guess they knew just they, they couldn't the get Sam Neil. You know, <laughs> it seemed like the one guy you would want to go back in would be like Sam Neill, Sam Neill, and then maybe Lord. Because
0: Samuel comes back, he for, the comes third back one. for the third so one. So I wonder why in the, in the if which it was directed a,
1: by the guy that did like Jumanji, right? It's Joe
0: Johnston, I think. The third one. Oh, is it? Who we talk about? Who did the? Uh, you know, he did freaking. Isn't that Rocky-tier? Rocky? Rocky-tier, and he, yeah. did he help with uh, Boba Fett creation? Yeah, He's we've a big talked about with Story few times on Joe Johnston. Um, we, I think we talked about Spielberg um, executive. Um, he produced did
1: it. the first Marvel. Newer uh, Captain America, yes, yeah. I um, mean, just did the '90s Captain America on the show. Yeah. 90 An 90 awesome
0: ago. movie, I have to say. If I don't, if I don't say,
1: a lot of great peripheral actors like Samuel Jackson, Wayne Knight, who we've mentioned a few. times It's funny because at the
0: idea at the time, Samuel Jackson was showing up everywhere. He's like in the Longest Good Night. He was in Patriot Games as uh, uh, Jack Ryan's friend at the there's CIA. There's actors
1: that like they do the money grab where they'll do anything, you know. And there's like phases that's like. You know, William H Macy was that for a yeah. while. they Janine, both Garofalo. Janine Garofalo was probably the first person I know. Yeah, Harvey Keitel was always like, "Oh, Samuel L Jackson's the new Janine Garofalo." They're William H Macy's again. the everything. news. Yeah, <laughs> it's and like in the an, nineties, once he got, and this is
0: is this prior to Pulp Fiction? Yeah, right. What, be. Yeah, because he's he was. I mean, he was doing big roles at the time, but it's like you knew him. It's like, oh, he's that because you know, I you know, he's back and he's in. Menace to Society he's the hold up guy in Coming to America at McDowell's. yeah yeah that's Samuel L uh, so it's he's in
1: uh, True Romance doesn't he have a small part in that? At Ameri-
0: yeah at the beginning he sells the drugs to Drexel so it's like uh, so it's you're right there's all the and Wayne Knight who was in Basic Instincts, Spielberg saw Basic Instinct which goes back to freaking Color night. Night <laughs> uh, saw him liked him cast him in this and I guess he was in Seinfeld at the time I don't know I'm not the biggest Seinfeld aficionado so I don't know if his Newman character had premiered yet yeah I it must know. have I mean at the time
1: and then you have other people like BD Wong who plays Sinus very small he only got the one scene but he comes back he's in oh, the Jurassic world, world, world
0: yeah you know and he's and in. he had a big part in the book and at the time since they didn't have a script he read the sides from the book so he thought he was gonna have this huge role but then when he came he only need they only needed him yeah. for a day and, and he's, he's in all he's in he's in all
1: kinds like he's in Gotham the yeah TV show he's now, in uh, like
0: Strange uh he was now. in Law and Order he was in Law and Order SVU he's I think he might have been in Oz he's in a A lot of of programming. Yeah, like you said, mostly he was the head of Arkham and Gotham.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, watching it this time, you know, wondering, could you maybe look at this movie, if we looked at this movie through a different lens, in a way, is this movie just, like, die hard with dinosaurs? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it kind of is if you add, but you add the. It's not
0: one guy. If you're just taking yeah, everybody just out of Sam it, <laughs> yeah. But was just Sam Neil, yeah. Sam Neill Malcolm, yeah. it Could be it's Die Hard on an Island, you or know. Or
1: even thinking, you know, with the Kundi connection, is this in a, in a way like a John Carpenter siege movie, like an Assault on Precinct Thirteen? Well, the, you know?
0: if if you count the island as the as yeah. the siege point, you know, I, I uh, because the whole movie then becomes it's very there's not a lot of plot. It only and it only takes place in a night, and it's one of these things again where it's just like, oh wow! And they can they can they kind of conceive these little uh, action sequences, like the scene after the Tyrannosaurus Rex where the kid's stuck in the tree and you got to get up, and then there's the, the the suspense there, or them like you said going over don't whiz on the electric fence, going <laughs> over the fence, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like they conceive these little things, and then look at like the the Raptors, Raptor opening scene. You, all you see is maybe an eye or something in the cage. Yeah. And then you have the, the setup of them feeding the cow. And that's why I said you could have had that a lot gorier when they brought that thing back up. And then the, the raptors don't make their appearance until an hour and 37 minutes into the movie. And then the then the raptors play such a heavy role in it, which is amazing and all, you know. Yeah. Well, let me ask, is this a horror movie? Well, a big thing with Spielberg early on, which is maybe reason to answer my own question of why it isn't, isn't gory enough is because he wanted them not to be monsters. He wanted them to be animals. Yeah. So to make them be animal, which is a choice, which is interesting, you know, bec- you know, so I guess it could be conceived as a monster. Movie, but I think, if a guy like Jim Cameron would have did it, it would have been more like a monster movie,
1: like, yeah. a, like a probably a Carnosaur. I think most people would argue that Jaws is a monster movie. You know, even though yeah, Jaws is a is a
0: yeah, it's not an. It, you, but at the same time, you're setting that shark up to be a monster, a monster in a water where it's not. I mean, you, they try to, you know. um uh, Justify it by he is an animal and he's a beautiful. He yeah, Josh is white, an interesting. You know, is
1: an interesting example because I don't think obviously they. Obviously, I bring yet. it up because it was Spielberg. Yeah. But like you know, if you take into, if you were to break the horror genre up into subcategories, yeah, you have the yeah you know, the slasher movies, the zombie movies. Oh, there's you know, tons of stuff. you know, we yeah. talked about when we did Towering Inferno. You presented that question, like, do you think this is a horror movie? And it was an interesting question because even though. I don't think most people would consider it like structurally and execution-wise. It kind of is well, like they're playing with a lot of the a same. A lot of those Irwin
0: Allen movies, the, the Poseidon Adventure,
1: Earthquake. I mean, it's
0: a catastrophic event, and then people having to deal with the aftermath.
1: But in a lot of ways, like there's the nature horror movies. Yeah, you know, there's man like versus nature swarm you know, squirm, (laughs) Yeah. No, but like nature Uh, in terms of like animal, like wildlife,
0: you know, and then, uh, and jaw twister in the midnight. I mean, but animal, but also you do get the environment you get, the which is, you know, know, again,
1: very much the disaster type movie, but this idea of like mother nature and specifically animals, uh, being, you know, like horror movies based on animals, you know, you have, uh, Razorback, you know, and and all this stuff. Jurassic Park in Even a like, way, like a Cujo, Cujo certainly, you yeah, know, or what's yeah. the
0: robot? Uh, Lance Henriksen with the robot dog. Oh yeah, what is that movie? In called? cyber or something, or Pooch or something. But well, you know, there's you know? this,
1: you know, <laughs> but
0: it's, it's a hard thing to do because since you can't have scenes, so like I remember seeing Twister in the theater and them trying really hard to make. The tornado, a villain. Sure, yeah. you know you have to set it up. You even it even has its own sound, so that when it's there, so it's so hard to present nature itself as the villain, or even animals as the monsters. It's very easy to have, you know, poor King Kong or Godzilla be, you know, the the monster. At, you know, where you could oh, you know, but here it's like, you know, how do you have like a, a an ant yeah. or a, sh- well, a spider? Well, let's put it this way,
1: you know, like when we went to school, we read a book called. I don't remember the name Anatomy of Horror I don't remember the name of it but it was it was all about like what constitutes horror and one of the big things and I forget who wrote it but one of the big arguments was like it needs a monster now for instance like that's a broad term though I would say yeah Yeah. it was a broad term but I think even in their definition like there needed to be something supernatural about it so like a serial killer movie I think to this could be argued by many like that's not a horror movie that's a thriller where or you can have sli- that person be the monster? But I'm just saying, if yeah. you're going to go with, but I I recall that like this guy, this definition wasn't needed to be supernatural in some sense. So whether you have like Michael Myers, he's human, but at the same time he's unstoppable, so that he's a monster. You know, Jaws is a is a shark, but at the same time he's supernatural in that like, it takes four barrels. Yeah, you know, you, <laughs> you know, know, like he's going like, on to the board. like he's he's more. Yeah. He's there's something surreal about but it. But you know, um I n- I'm not saying this is a correct definition. Yeah. I'm just saying there is like this mentality that a horror movie needs to have some kind of supernatural.
0: But I wonder with the, like the first Halloween, you don't set up that he's that he's unstoppable until near the end or you know yeah. what I mean? He's still a he's still a, a faceless, he's a serial killer. But then near the end of the first Halloween or first Friday the 13th but then with the longevity of the series you have to set up that there's some sort of sub- supernatural subhuman you know like zombie you know I mean it's yeah. like
1: well I mean like you know his Carpenter's inspiration for Michael Myers was Westworld yeah this You'll idea it. of like it just, it'll just keep Draw. on coming yeah <laughs> you know like that's the phenomenal thing yeah that's I mean so know. I guess my question is with like Jurassic Park does the science fiction element to it like give that supernatural aspect of it. You know, I'm just trying to... To me, it is. It's a horror movie as much of a... It's a science fiction horror movie. You know, like, it's playing with enough tropes of the horror genre and suspense, and it's, her, and it's horrifying, and it's fucking well, look, scary. Well, look, look, at,
0: look at The Invisible Man. I mean, on the face of it, that's a sci-fi yeah, book, sci-fi material, but then that's very easily as part of the universal horror movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't know know if I would consider
1: it horror I mean, even *Memories of an
0: Invisible Man used to be, Carpenter's movies used to be put in the comedy section because Chevy Chase was in it. But (laughs) it's a thriller. It's like this sad, you know, or or would even be considered a horror movie. So it's a very lax term because maybe you can consider, I mean, you could go broad like we're saying here and there's a lot of movies you wouldn't think on the face of them being horror movies that suddenly oh maybe like Titanic, I mean, that's a disaster. Maybe that could be a level of a horror movie well, because you could certainly off the boat before you could stands.
1: easily put Jurassic Park in the category of the disaster movie. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like Westworld. I mean
0: Westworld was certainly that was more billed as a horror movie than say Jurassic Park was. But yeah. it's playing with the same sci fi amusement park going wrong and then with Westworld it's robots are coming like in Jurassic Park, the, it's just you're dealing with, you know, wild animals that, you know, that are just uh, attacking people, where in Westworld, these robots now want to kill because they're just <laughs> malfunctioning. Yeah, yeah, You know, and you have Yul Brenner the, the man in black, following you, it's the, which was the basis for the T-800 and Terminator. Hey, since we're on Terminator, did you, I wonder if there's an homage in this movie near the end of it. You know, in the raptor? There's a shot that looks very reminiscent to me when the raptor's going through the room and you see, like, the DNA um, uh, silhouette on his face of all the different, you know, A, C, G. And then at the end of the first Terminator movie, I mean, it's really freaking in the the hole in the wall. (laughs) But you see when the T-800 is going after her, Sarah Connor's at the very end crawling through the equipment, and you see him crawling through, too. When she gets him through the thing, there's a shot that looks almost identical. But there's even a... uh, a reference, I thought, to Stanley Kubrick in this movie when they said "like the, the it's the setup and payoff. Unless they learn to open doors and they cut to... And you see the door handle jiggling. And almost as 2001 when they found the monolith. You hear like the... Oh, yeah, yeah. And it opens the door. You know, it's like
1: there's very much that kind <laughs> yeah, of... Yeah, you know, I can see it. I didn't, it, did, it certainly didn't occur to me at the time, but now that you mention it, like, yeah, I can see that as being...
0: Like a little homage um, to...
1: I mean, there's just so much. I mean, like, you know, it's so... I mean, you know, you take it in a context that became, has become... Uh, a trope of horror movies to start with, like a horror scene, and Jurassic Park does that. Like you were, I think that's what got me on this train of thought. Well, even you were talking about the opening of Jurassic Park. It's it's and it, how it, we don't we only see the raptor's eye, but it's something like, like it's horrific. St- it opens scene, yeah. with like it, grabs you it throws us into into it. But it, on a broader term, that because you take that scene out, yeah, and it starts, and going. you eliminate advertising. And you just watch the movie straight, and you the story unravels. Yeah, like you don't know to be scared yet, which is good because that's kind of like what happens with But the first scene tells us like this shit's dangerous, <laughs> and <you laughs> they're going into the, like the
0: lion's den. And I guess you would say that's a horror movie idea because if you look at like Westworld starts just nice. Yeah, a lot of movies of yesterday would start without the scene to to yeah. grab the audience, but. With horror movies like the beginning of Jaws or the beginning of the Peeping Tom, yeah, or, I mean, but you don't, you don't know, get it going in, back
1: even that far. You don't you know?
0: even get it in Psycho. I mean, they start
1: slow, so you don't know where this movie's going. And then, spoiler alert: when Janet Lee killed, you're you know, like, "Holy shit!" Like Halloween starts with a young Michael Ma- yeah. You know, it start like horror movies have, n- not all obviously. Well, I but, wonder when that started. I mean, you're right. Peeping Tom starts it, and then in that
0: era, like you have the, you know, like the first murder and a serial killer, like Jack the Ripper, kill. You know, so I wonder you know and then now that works on bigger you need to have the you need a scene to get the audience in at the beginning to to, to so they're not bored so you need to start your movie at the ending yeah. you know guys got a gun to the guy's head and then how did we get here or like you know the big action sequence at the beginning uh, bank robbery you know sure, or, you know
1: yeah. you need you need I, that I, I do want to clarify when i was saying this idea of horror needs to be supernatural that, that's not my theory like I don't believe that yeah <laughs> you know I was just making a kind of a devil's advocate like Cause we've had this definition has been told to us, you know, cause we read a book about it when we were in school. So I was just making like, you know, I was just presenting an argument, uh, uh presenting a discussion point, but just to be clear, like I don't have that. Yeah. Point of view. <laughs> I know what people be like, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. How could you be R fan and not think, uh, I don't believe that because Peeping Tom is a perfect example of a movie that where there's nothing supernatural about it, but that's as great of a horror movie, in my opinion, as any movie ever made. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I feel so the I same way. So I just want to backtrack a little bit because I don't want anybody to think that I was no, <laughs> making yeah. like, an argument that is, you know, people aren't going to agree with.
0: And I feel the same way there's a 1955 movie, Night of the Hunter, with Robert Mitchum. He needs a psycho preacher, and it's the same yeah. kind of a thing. where well, that starts where they find a body. So, I mean- for whatever it is, I guess a good script you want to grab the audience somehow and then keep them. Yeah. And then you're right—if you take off the first scene with the Raptors, it would start slow. Maybe that would be your intention. You yeah, start it would it slow. just be
1: like you would not—you would not, as a viewer, like you and don't call sh- it Jurassic Park. You would not know. <laughs> like you could even call that. I mean, you know, we would then open with mosquitoes, and then we would, but then we would open with. You know, Sam Neil digging and up dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. So, like very quickly, we would know that it's about dinosaurs. Yeah. Dinosaur.
0: Dinosaurs, dinosaurs. <laughs> Let's talk. We're running out of time. We should talk about how clever. See, now you have the book. The, the when you have our man, the, the screenwriter uh, that we talked about from co um, Coop, David Co-ep. his idea of taking the uh, the, the first edit or the first sc- screenplay that Crichton does he takes a lot of the backstory out. There's a lot of, you don't need to know the backstory of all these characters. We're going to tell it through action. Exposition through action. Yeah, yeah.
1: So well, another thing that you we have, were, you know, <laughs> we should write a, p- <laughs> filmmaking through the film lover's yeah. perspective. And then, then you we use have examples, all these things that we bring you know? up all the time. And, and here you <laughs> like have the exposition idea. through action.
0: And you have the idea here is like, how are you going to get the audience up to speed on shit they're going to know nothing about cutting edge genetic technology. Well, you can explain it all in the book like you can read it and then that's why the the book was praised. The book comes out people are like why is it so good because it has this cutting edge technology and it's so easy to understand. Yeah. People can grasp it in a second and it's a fun adventure. In the movie, how are you going to tell that visual? Jesus, you can't have voice. So what do they do? Brilliant use. They do like a schoolhouse rocks animation.
1: Spoon feed it to us through a cartoon.
0: A cartoon that's made to spoon feed it to the amusement park audience. Yeah. And they tell you they—it's called DNA. <laughs> How do you get DNA? Well, I'm gonna tell you. You're gonna get a called a dinosaur. You <laughs> got a, a fly up and take the DNA out, and you gotta mine it. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like when you burn toast. <laughs> it's like when you burn toast. You leave a trace of yourself behind.
1: <laughs> Guess he's the old Southern guy.
0: Don't ever go Kevin to room Two Three
1: Seven. <laughs> That would have been it. awesome if they have, were able to have Scatman Brothers do that, and we have Slim Pickens <laughs> play Scatman Crothers
0: in, in in The Shining. What the <laughs> hell? I've seen a carnival, a rodeo, and that is the craziest. I can't do a Slim Pickens person. If people, if, I hope people know who Slim Pickens is so it's 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 amazing so then and then you get the exposition in uh, of their characters in the action uh ian uh jeff goldblum's character is kind of a womanizer how how do you get that because he starts flirting overtly with Thor during touching her fucking finger he's like i can make it rain and he asks (laughs) if he's married yeah sometimes sometimes something that yeah i've got three kids with three different women or whatever and then you know so you get all this stuff in the in the book um the kids roles are reversed the boys older the girls younger um he had auditioned the boy for um, uh, Hook, and the boy didn't end up getting Hook. But again, like Steven Spielberg did with Corey Feldman, when he, when he auditioned him for maybe E.T., he's like, I'm going to use you. You'll be in a movie this summer yet. Yeah, yeah, And so the next, he he gets the kid in mind, he casts the kid, and then he real quickly realizes if the kid's this age, you can't have the girl be younger, because then it throws the movie off, because if the girl's four or five, it becomes a very different movie very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So what we end up happening is that we... Um, we end up getting um uh, they cast her older as a woman and then and then you know they get the girl who's great in it yeah and they they cast her what well, just based on her scream right because they had Christina Ricci audition they had a whole bunch of people and they cast her because she's able to scream the best and then she ends up becoming so into uh Donnis a paintology, she goes and and goes with the guy who they kind of base uh his name's Jack Horner who becomes like a rock star a paleontologist yeah who they hire him Grant, to kind of
1: be the the behind the scenes often uh, you know, like, uh, what he, like, uh, the like what's like consultant yeah to make
0: sure everything's right so she ends up going and do like a dig with him the next summer because she gets into it but they hire this guy and uh, he makes sure everything's right and all that kind of thing and, and that's an idea he wants to he's I think the one who pushes them the big concept here is especially is the birds because prior to this especially with a T-Rex. I remember you've been to the Peabody Museum with me a couple times mm-hmm. and they have a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton, a full skeleton there. And if you look at Godzilla prior to this movie, they always thought the, t- the T-Rex's uh, tail would just come down. He would stand straight and he would come down the back like Godzilla is. Yeah. And this was the first movie to have. No, it's like a bird where he kind of leans mm-hmm. forward and the tail kind of is used for balance. Yeah. You know, and so they kind of go away from the lizard idea and they go more toward, they're more like birds. And since they had no basis of, of they, you know, they they never saw a dinosaur, they used a lot of animal behavior that they mimicked sure. bird behavior. Well, like you for know.
1: instance, you know, as Dion knows, and it's not a story for today, but uh, pigeons hold a, a special place in my heart. <laughs> but when you we watch. We talked it, about it in Blade Runner. When I mean, you me too, yeah. When you watch a pigeon walking. They bob forward and backward. Yeah, and it's because of balance. Yeah, if they didn't, if their heads didn't move when they walked to kind of offset the center of gravity, yeah. they would fall over. So that you know, they bring that kind of Blake movement I, to, to din to dinosaurs.
0: dinosaur. Dinosaur. <laughs> Blake and I love pigeons, and if you're ever in the New York City area or in New York City, be kind to a pigeon because people call them street rats and all that. They're so mean to them. And the pigeon just wants to eat, just wants to survive. He's just trying to, just and trying yeah, you know, in this crazy, terrible
1: they do south world. for the winter No, so i don't know you know they they freeze to death what happens is yeah. they,
0: they you know because they don't have places that you know that you end up losing like 50% of the population when it's really cold because all they do is like hang under an eave you know, to the next day, and they get all these kind of viruses and not, not to
1: end this. Not to,
0: yeah, on a really, really not sad a, note. A uh, so, but the, so <laughs> they they revolutionized the idea of dinosaurs with being more in, in relation to birds, and then with and then as they go on, the feather aspect, they f- realize the raptors probably had feathers, and I think that's why you see raptors with feathers, and maybe the last Jurassic Park movie that just came out, it has, it has like three feathers on its head. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and this was huge talking, getting back to this guy, Jack Horner, um, no relation to the composer, uh, uh, Horner, uh, James Horner, that when, after this movie came out, people were so interested in like uh, paleontology, dinosaurs, museums uh, picked up. There was tons of documentaries on dinosaurs. People like, you know, people, and it's like, it's another good, great service that a movie is, is amazing. As this, does all this stuff we just said, but it also then gets people interested in going to a museum and reading yeah. about history and see, you know, it's just so, and this interest in dinosaurs and documentaries and all that. It, it's a real testament, you know, that this guy, uh, you know, a paleontologist becomes like a, a rock star, like an archaeologist with Indiana Jones would. <sighs> so it, it's, it's amazing. What, what else have we, we're, we're, we're just skimming the top here because there's just so much. Yeah. I mean, we looked up the research for this and this was probably the most pages of like trivia and and, and notes I've ever seen for so at some point you're just like wow you know there's just just so much.
1: I would say that it is just interesting that it's so far has spawned for like it's you know it it's spawned like four sequels. There's the new one coming out this year. Movies, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. There's mm-hmm. a Jurassic World. There's a third Jurassic World movie, like already kind of slated. Uh, uh, video games, toy. Then so
0: that's another thing too. They spent what sixty five million on marketing on this movie, yeah. And they had like a thousand different products: toys, lunch boxes, books, uh, novelizations geared towards children, uh, comic books. C- comics, t-
1: TV shows. Uh, uh, dino exposition uh, exhibitions and there were like cartoon shows that I don't think ever got off the ground but were like in development to maybe make animated series as
0: yeah and an awesome thing is when this movie premiered it came out June 10th as we said but a couple days before they premiered it at this benefit dinner it was a child I forget what cause it was but they premiered it at this benefit dinner in DC to try to raise money for this children's malady found I forget what, what it was for uh, to help these kids out but it's like you know we talk about the marketing of Batman in, like, 1989. It's like, Jurassic, you can get anything. I mean, you know, you can get... I, there was probably, like, a, a Ford Explorer, you know, like a Jurassic Park... <laughs> yeah. a, not, not to look like it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I... There's... A, there's Where I walk my dog around my neighborhood, someone has a Jeep Wrangler, and it's the Tomb Raider edition. And I was like, oh, I didn't know they made, you know, but they made like a Tomb Raider edition. It's just a Jeep with some lights on top of it, a Wrangler. So, I mean, I remember when this movie came out that those Ford Explorers were brand new looking and Ford Explorers were
1: everywhere in the 90s. Yeah. Well, just in April, I I went to California in the airport. There was a guy wearing a Jurassic Park Mm t-shirt. And then like a couple of days later, while in California, I saw a different guy wearing the exact same... Blacky. Is it the old logo like yeah. the Batman? That's another thing. The we black talk about. T-shirt with like the just like the logo with the ter- with the Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton.
0: And we've had conversations in the past on other podcasts about superheroes, about like how iconic the Batman branding, logo is. Branding, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Batman logo, the Superman logo, Spider-Man logo. So it's like this had a, you know, you could take the words off the poster, and it's basically you can have the what is that the, the like the negative image of just it looks like a, a yeah. stone wall with the cut out of the tyrannosaurix uh bone structure and that's yeah. that's your logo. Yeah. And
1: you'd be like, "Oh, that's a Jurassic Park logo."
0: Yeah. And it's and then they also say too that a lot of these a lot of these dinosaurs aren't even from the Jurassic period, it's just as a it crichtons like it just sounded better. You know, it's from the Cretaceous Cresace- period. Yeah. Uh and it's funny too cuz growing up like I, you know like a little kid I love dinosaurs I so I knew all, all, kids, all this all kids you know, go through that I knew yeah. what you know pterodactyls were I knew what you know uh, I knew all these so since I haven't seen this movie in 20 years or so going back and watching it I was trying to remember like oh that's a
1: stegosaurus
0: <laughs> that's you know we know T-Rexes but like all the little ones like the yeah, you yeah. know triceratops yes you know and so and then you needed at the you know it's a it's a, it's kind of a stroke of genius to be able to have, to bring the raptors in yeah. Because the rap you know it's one thing you know a,
1: that was a lesser known. Yeah. That And they they <laughs> they, they <laughs> play it I'm up gonna. too
0: as being like they're very intelligent, they're fucking yeah. terminators, they they hunt in packs. They yeah. they use they do deductive reasoning. They're they're fucking like, well, it's be like a you know, brilliant
1: kind of script thing. Yeah. Which is like we he Sam Neil. Scares that kid by telling that them kid, how I, they would hunt. I put a note. I remember that kid from the nineties. Yeah. He using a lot a lot of he was stuff. Lot of stuff. Yeah, but then we see there's foreshadowing that that's For how the Muldoon death. Yeah, yeah, that's how we get that. That's how they kill Muldoon. But did you say? Clever girl. And I really <laughs> like, liked him.
0: Because to me, he looks like a live action GI Joe. He looks like what, like yeah. Safari or one of those GI Joes yeah. at the time. had, um, you know, they should have put Paul
1: Hogan in that part. Yeah, do, <laughs> oh, he would have been
0: amazing in that part. What's he doing at that time? Yeah, you know, Crocodile Dundee two had already come out. That could have been great. Not to say that guy didn't do Bad role, but But the but the raptor stuff is like you know because then all of a sudden you don't have a T Rex you're running from that's the size of Godzilla. You have these things that could go into the into that could
1: chase you into the kitchen.
0: Yeah, and and, and it can open doors, and it's and it's and it's. I mean, and then also we didn't get into the sound design, but it's just as amazing as the uh, special effects are is the sound design in this. Yeah, aside from the John Williams score, but just create yeah T Rex what
1: these things sound like, and
0: it's so iconic because growing up. You know, you always know the Godzilla, or I'm sorry, the King Kong roar from the 70s that you hear, like, when, like, the, uh, even when the truck goes off the thing at the end of uh, freaking Duel, it gives a little, a good little King Kong roar, roar, but if you hear, like, the King Kong roar in Dino De Laurentiis' movie, and then in the 90s, when they got the Tyrannosaurus T-Rex roar, that became the roar you'd hear in all the movies, you know, and so it's, it's just, it's amazing, they, I mean, they went... You know, if we could spend three hours on this, we talk about it. they went and did five or six different animals, put them together to have them sound like this. And the mate, I mean, you know, even they have like the, 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 what do they call those, the, the tall necks, the, the, Dra- the uh, giraffes. The, no, no, I'm sorry, in the movie. <laughs> Brachis- Bra- brachiosauruses. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're doing whale calls at one point, you know, which yeah, is completely yeah. inaccurate. And they don't chew like cows, but they like, they wanted to make them look majestic and sound you know very calm and docile well, like cows. That we don't know
1: yeah i think that that's like the i think that's one of the fun things about the movie is like well they do move in herds or they yeah it's exciting you know it's like you know what the theories you know when you're talking about you know to bd wong about like you know what's the temperature you know it's like we don't there's these creatures that we we've only been able to like Hypothesize about. Yeah, I mean, we've only through fossils. We've stuff. only been able to look at skeletons and imagine what it they would be like by comparing them to other animals. And so, like their wonder of as being scientists, that have spent their lives. Yeah, being able to see what it's really like, and I feel like in the book they also talk about how like the the dinosaurs. I remember there's a scene the dinosaur has trouble breathing. But it's because of, like, the atmosphere. Yeah, it's you know, a, like, the because of pollution. It, yeah. Like, their lungs, through evolution, have not been prepared for, like, what man has done to the earth.
0: Yeah, and that goes <laughs> back to freaking uh, H.G. Which, Wells and War of the Worlds. Which know? is an
1: interesting... You yeah. know, I remember that's something that sticks out of my head from when I read the book in 1993, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, like, this idea of being able to see things that we've only been able to, you know guess and it's what am, they would be like it's an, how they would act
0: it's amazing that then the these scientists and these paleontologists and archaeologists and all these other ologists are able to then from bones that they find in a rock be yeah. able to discern that the you know the the, the uh you know the hunting patterns, and they know they know the, all this stuff. They've able to logically then not just so much guess, but they've been able to prove through deductive reasoning. And then people are like, oh, okay, this is confirmed by the scientific community. All the stuff they've able been able to learn just by finding these things, bones and stuff, yeah. uh, is insane. So, uh, so and yeah, and the movie comes out, and it just makes like what does it make like a billion dollars?
1: <laughs> it didn't make it didn't cross a billion until the three D. Yeah, uh, Terminator it got re released. Titanic but it, did, but but it was the Highest grossing movie of all time until Titanic, and then it
0: and it, it, he knocked himself off because it became the highest grossing international movie because ET was yeah until that time so he knocks himself off there and it's and then it's crazy because like I said he's doing post production in Poland he hires a Polish TV studio he buys or rents two channels from them that are open all twenty four hours a day uh, so that he can send picture down one audio down other the other. And he's paying like a million five a week to rent these channels so that he can have conference meetings four times a week, see stuff. Then in the weekends he's flying like a, a private jet from Poland to Paris to hear the sound design, to yeah, see the post production sound. sound designer you know,
1: was meeting, taking a flying from LA, America to Paris, to and then he's going so that they could meet weekly. You know,
0: so you t- when you're Steven Spielberg, that's what you do. You, yeah. you rent fucking TV channels <laughs> and you fucking rent things. You know. <laughs> and just to think of just how much of a disciplinarian he has to be to be during the week you're freaking doing Schindler's List Nazis and Holocaust and then you know on the weekend you're trying to do post-production on this like light, not lighthearted but this adventure sure, yeah. picture so it's you know and there's so much more yeah again, there's so much talk. more we could do we could I mean, do another uh, episode
1: on this yeah, if we wanted it's, to it's
0: huge I, I don't think I don't know anything else you could think of that, that that we could touch on or anything yeah
1: I mean there was a lot of stuff that I John thought, Williams' score is interesting yeah I you know i think we did a a good initial mm-hmm. <laughs> 2 hours <laughs> you know uh, uh a, a gentle <laughs> rubbing uh, the back rubbing of, over uh, over it. a general uh, and then
0: you know i i, I did also uh at the end of the movie, which is the, like the last shot where they're in the helicopter. Yeah. It's like if you wanna like analyze themes where they look at that big bird like a crane flying and then that's like nature. And then the last shot I think is the helicopter. So it's like the technology, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like all that kinda like, you know. Uh but again, I love I'm a big Crichton fan and uh you know, he was a big deal when we were little, like Tom Clancy was and like, you know, uh John Gersom. So it was like it's I always loved his books and movies that are like very realistic sci-fi technology based stuff and it wasn't too hard to understand like you said you saw the movie then you went read the book and you were it was competent enough for you to understand the book at that age which is you know that that's probably something to say and also too like all the little animal mannerisms in the movie that they added like one of the biggest things too is remember when the t-rex looks down and and into the car and she's got the glass and then the pupils dilate that people were loving that
1: I mean, I mean, all that shit. I mean, really, that you know,
0: that's all like shit. Spielberg threw in, like you know, we don't know what dinosaurs do, but animals do this kind of thing. So yeah. let's have them do animal stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, if if we were going to extend this podcast, which we're not, it would be like me talking for half an hour about that T Rex scene. Yeah, that whole scene there. You know, it is it is masterful and horrifying. Yeah, uh, and the, gives you goosebumps every time. Stan Winston's giant puppet. It's. Amazing, and then the use of the CGI. I mean, this is, like, that's the... Yeah, that's the scene. Yeah, all
0: the animatronics and stuff, and the, with the with the Ford Explorers. It's, yeah, I it's mean, amazing. I know
1: like people point to the Raptor kitchen scene, but to me, like this movie is that Tyrannosaurus Rex scene. It's so yeah, fucking. Scary. I mean, <laughs> the
0: reveal. I mean, and then, and that's the thing too. where like they go through the Where's park at the, the beginning. Yeah, exactly. They go through the park. You don't see anything, and that's true. That's annoying. Oh, you yeah. you might we not ever, see the dinosaurs. Are we ever
1: gonna see dinosaurs in uh, the store? In they they leave port? the goat
0: there, and then later on in the movie, you see the goat's gone. Where's the goat? And it's all POV through the car when you first. It's just. It's amazing, and you see that thing coming out, and it, it evidently it, it knows how to like open a fence up. <laughs> you know, it's just it's crazy. It's 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 all it's it's you know. I mean, Spielberg's it's the magic. Yeah, it's it, you know, it really, it really is. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a force to be. It's funny because you know it's never been a movie that it's never been like not my favorite. I've never even thought about it as being like my favorite Spielberg yeah. movie. It's, it's not on my there. list of favorite movies of all time. But it's like when it comes up, when I watch it. It's like holy fuck! This movie is intense. Yeah, <laughs> like this movie is really masterfully constructed. I yeah, mean, it really is uh, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah,
0: it, it's just amazing. And it's and like I've I haven't visited it as much probably because I was getting older at the time. I think if that I, if I, th- I was younger, I
1: think if we saw this movie when we were like ten,
0: yeah, playing with with our Batman age, like yeah, this yeah. would have been. I would have had all the toys. I would have been maybe I would like I said earlier. I've been in the backyard. Mark. just we were
1: just early yeah, old enough out of that. to appreciate yeah. it but not for it to make the kind of impact that it, I think it would have if we were between 8 and 10. Yeah, like I was, this movie would have been like, whoa!
0: I was playing with other things when I got to that age. <laughs> and well, On that note. <laughs> yeah, on that note. <laughs> Getting back to my dad's horrible uh, humor. Who made a cameo a couple weeks ago on this podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually having the same humor. Um, yeah, so uh... We're
1: we're in the we're in the summer months now.
0: Yeah, it's fun. We just did two uh, epic. We did this, and then like last week, Back to the Future. We did
1: one of the most iconic movies of the eighties, yeah. and now we've done one of the most, most iconic, iconic movies
0: of the nineties. Yeah, uh, and then who knows what we're doing next week? One of who the most, knows
1: what the future holds.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know we could you could check us out on uh, Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have our regular site where we usually have uh, a lot of extras, and you can read about us uh we have a lot of we have a, a big catalog now so i'm sure you can go and you know if you haven't listened to some of the back episodes, over, over a hundred yeah.
1: episodes of oh. of this show and and then a bunch more of side casts and yeah, well, the guest stuff we've done and, yeah and interviews and other things we've done and a
0: lot of exclusive content in interview form and stuff like that and we have uh you know um we like to tell people that you know with the vast catalog we have we're sure there's we covered a movie that you like <laughs> be you're, your young old boy girl man woman there's got to be something child child out of the world so um we'll be back in two weeks with another uh fun spectacle of heavenly glory
1: <laughs> and uh saturday night movie sleepover classic classics keep going and blake's got a book Scored to Death, conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. Yes, he's also an accomplished author and uh, and podcaster. And uh, podcasts, uh, Scored to Death, The Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and just about everywhere else you find podcasts. And uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, you're, yeah, you're Instagram, Twitter at Scored to Death.
0: You're on all that stuff. We'll, as we said, we're, we're on all that stuff, too. Uh, that's Blake stuff. I, I have some exciting news down the pike I can let you know in future episodes. And uh, as of now, uh, it's getting pretty late. we got to get ready to go to sleep. Summer months. Here we come. You know, or unless we have another Nerf fight. <laughs> I don't know. We might wake up the parents, the parental units, if we do that. So, but... Um, Yes, the summer months are always fun because we're in hot, steamy New York City, and that always gives us a lot of ammunition for, uh, <laughs> for, for movie ideas. So uh, we will see you in a very quick but long two weeks.
1: Later.